Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and this is my co-host, Scott Daly. Matt, I want to make a transaction. Oh, really? Yes. I want you to, uh, want you to do that thing that you do that got you tossed in jail to begin with. Ah, well, what do I get in return? Will you free me from this prison? <laughs> no, no. They, um... They're they're definitely gonna gonna kill you. Oh, yeah. Uh, I can get you like a like a TV or something. We got we got Game of Thrones. Hard pass. Oh, okay. Well, this is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of justified egg hatred, Faustian bargains, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week we continue Arc Thirteen Black with chapters ten and eleven. Victoria, Sveta, and Lisa continue to, continue to gather information on Teacher's operation from a different trio of troublemakers right as Teacher's information bomb goes off, releasing Dirty Cape secrets to the public. This, combined with Sveta's very bad day and some angle-based memory surfing, pushes Victoria to tell all the normies to go fuck themselves and then goes to hang out with bio-manipulating monsters. Cool. Matt, what do you think of these two chapters? Well, these are fantastic. Um, I, I think it's probably worth it to say right off the bat that I, I actually had a lot of trouble with with my uh, summarizing of these chapters because they are basically, uh, they just contain large amounts of very detailed and complex dialogue where every given paragraph is doing like eight different things. Yeah. And when the when the whole two chapters are made up of that kind of content, I basically you can't really summarize. You just end up picking things that you want to talk about, which is it's inevitable. I did feel a degree of frustration as I had to be like, well, I we can't we can't talk for 16 hours about these two chapters. <laughs> so I mean, we could we could yeah. we could. Yes. But I, I, I you know, some frustration. It's inevitable, though. I, I, I kind of just wanted to say that because. I'm inevitably going to to be skipping over. We are inevitably going to be skipping over some things, um, but that uh, there was so much in here, and and it's it's all such great stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of the climax, the culmination of our arc a little bit. Um, we know now we're recording this on Tuesday night, so we know that there's an, another chapter in the arc after this one, but it is an interlude, and it seems like it's probably going to be the final chapter of the arc. Um, but this, so this is kind of our climax, and it's as you said, it's. The climax of the of this arc is conversations, important, you know, world defining conversations. Yes, but it's conversations and mm -hmm. that is difficult to summarize. It's difficult to go in. I mean, like if you look at our script, it's longer than it normally is. But that is because it's really just blocks of text copy pasted from the book because that's true because between the two of us we are pulling stuff like crazy yeah um, it's gonna be fun i'm gonna enjoy talking about it but i i get i get your frustration it has nothing to do with the quality of writing it's just a very <laughs> different kind yeah. of of um I, I almost said action scene i don't mean that it's just a different kind of conflict yeah 
I mean, the, it, it's, it's, it is the fault of the quality of writing and that the quality of writing is too good and <laughs> requires too much uh, breakdown. Yeah, how um, dare you, Ward? Be, be worse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, we got an announcement. Is that right? Yeah, we just it's just our, our standard let's remind you guys about the quarterly fan art contest that is uh, coming up here. We I think we've got two weeks left to submit your entries, uh, a little under two weeks, a week from two weeks from yesterday to submit your entries for our quarterly fan art contest. Uh, theme is relationships. Entries are due Monday, May 27th at midnight Pacific time. You can go over to doofmedia.com for more details or click the link in our show notes. Um, this has cash prizes. We do. We do. The, the, these rewards are, are funded by our patrons. So we do give out prizes for these things. So um, I know probably a lot of you guys have already started working on these. But in case you haven't, there's still time. Um, get to draw in or what is what do you call it when you're like drawing on a computer? Is that just drawing? Uh, I think there's probably a, a special word for it. I okay. don't know. Do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, I, I'm looking forward to it. It's always great. I, I love these contests. I love them so much. And I know we've been saying this every week for like a month now, but do it. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on into 13.10. And here we have uh, Victoria tending to the old man in the back seat, suffering from his uh, shove down the stairs. And Tattletail in the front seat trying to give Imp some overtly manipulative advice regarding how to manage the heartbroken under her charge. The breakthrough women in the back seat are baffled and outraged by Tattletail's advice, but I think that we the readers actually understand that Lisa's probably right when she says to Imp, you're not going to have any pretty options. Yeah, I agree um, with that. So, like, this is a good place to start, right? Because... There's like 15 different functions served by starting the chapter with this half overheard conversation. Like, first of all, it's setting up background things. It's reminding us that the heartbroken exists as a background element with a lot of potential to make moves and that their situation is evolving in the background, even as we're not focused on them. Uh, it's reminding us that this mob of emotional manipulators exists and ties into like 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 ties in basically with the many beats of emotional powers that we're going to see in these chapters. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm thinking specifically of Angle's uh, involvement. Yeah, um, it's showing Victoria and Sveta reacting to Lisa being manipulative, um, which for one thing is saying stuff about their relationship, saying something about how they're a bit at, at odds with Lisa. But on on the other hand, Lisa is being manipulative in a way that they can't really find a good toehold to criticize um, because basically she's doing it on behalf of Kenzie's team. Um, however, Victoria is very concerned about Kenzie's team and Kenzie's state of mind. So there's, there's all of these things layered into and, and, and subtextually inside this, this overheard conversation. Yeah. I, I love that. I, I, I totally agree. And it's like, it's really functionally effective. I mean, the thing that I like about it is on top of being functionally effective, it's just well, it's like sharply written dialogue. Yeah. Like we don't hear a word coming from imp this entire conversation. We don't hear her say anything, but we have her tone. We have like her character comes through in just what, what, uh, what Lisa's repeating, what Lisa's reacting to. Like it's, it's all there. We have a very clear understanding of not only what she's saying but how she's saying it and and the the mood that imp is in right now i think it's really effective to to paint a picture of this character and what she's going through right now without ever ever having her say a line to us at all it's right great. 
part of that is how well the scene is written. Part of that is the fact that we know Tattletale and Imp well enough that we can fill in right. her likely behavior here. Yeah, and I think that's just smart writing, right? Like, like if if you spend the time to like, I think characterizing early means, and I think we've mentioned this on Worm before. You know, we've I feel like we've recorded like eight hundred hours of podcasting by this point, so we're going to repeat ourselves a million times, but. Mm-hmm. If, if you take the time to set things up, you can leverage that for economical storytelling later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what's happening here. Yeah, I think you're right. But I think I, I kind of want to talk about this idea of manipulation here, though, because I think you're absolutely right. This chapter is is diving us into this scenario where Tattletale is coaching Imp to manipulate these people. And manipulation has surrounded this arc right teachers entire plan is about manipulation manipulating people into taking certain actions playing off of people's weaknesses playing off their insecurities playing off of preconceived biases that's what teachers plan is about and here as we open this chapter in which the full breadth of this plan is going to be revealed in a a few minutes we're going to talk about you know the, the red alert that teacher mentioned what it is and we're going to see the full scope of of what this plan is um we see tattletale doing very much the same thing kind of right this the strategy here that tattletale is outlining is um samuel's being a jerk bring up this moment in his past um where he wrote a heartfelt poem to a teacher he really cared about and he's kind of embarrassed about it he's really sensitive about it bring that up to him to show him that he has weaknesses too and, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing with chastity. Chastity might like this pizza delivery guy um, hint that you know about that. And it's it's manipulation. That's that's literally what it is. That's literally what she says it is. And I, I think, you know, talking about a discussion question of last week that we're going to cover at the end of the show. This is a scenario in which Wildbo is constructed to say, as you said, there's no good options here. There's really like like you have these these group of kids that are very damaged and you're trying to find ways to to work around them and and sometimes if you want to stop them or if you want to help them you have to manipulate them for their own benefits which is the line that tattletale says to imp if you want to be their ally you will have to be okay with manipulating them for their own benefits and i think that's really interesting because that's challenging this idea that manipulation is inherently bad and and this idea that intent matters um, the, the point of teachers manipulation is to tear people apart, to rip them down, to, to weaken uh, relationships between people, to, as we'll see, weaken the already fragile relationship between capes and non capes. And here, the point, the goal, the intent of Tattletale's manipulation is to keep people together, to not allow others to destroy what one group is building. To, to, and, and that intent is so important. Yeah, I I think it's fair to say that leadership is manipulation, right? Um, and Victoria, it, that that's the same thing she's doing, right? It's just that her team, um, doesn't require the same kind of sh- shall we say, um, uh, underhanded manipulation that, for example, the heartbroken do. Like, yeah, you you have to literally threaten and cajole the heartbroken to, to keep them in line. Whereas breakthrough, um, you just have to kind of provide them with, with a positive vision of, of what they can be and, and, and help them push back against their worst impulses and avoid their, their trauma hotspots and all that stuff. So basically if, if Victoria had some more troublesome teammates to deal with, then, um, 
she might find herself in the same position, right? And and I think yeah. it's telling that Victoria and Sveta are are kind of um, skeezed out by the way Tattletail is speaking, but neither of them can really say anything about it, right? Because yeah. they're like, well, it is the heartbroken that she's talking about. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, love the, I love this, that we're we're complicating things here because you're absolutely right. I think Victoria is manipulating her group. And, and I think that word has such a negative connotation attached to it, right? Like how could manipulating someone be good? How, how could it? Yeah. Um, and, but I think there are, there are instances where it is. And the, the Victoria's diary made up the intent of the manipulation, right? But it didn't really completely make up, the fact that she was influencing and pushing and, and trying to manipulate people for their best interest. Um, this, that's very similar to think that what Tattletale is doing here, although hers is a little more overt, as you said. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of when right after the, right after she read the diary and then she was talking to her team and feeling like very hollow about it because she, she, she was basically sitting there second guessing everything that she was saying. Um, even if a little bit subconsciously, like, like this, this feels like manipulation, what I'm saying right now, yeah. even though, I mean, which it is, it's just that it was, it was skewed in a, in a way where it was completely self-serving instead of being about helping the person. Yeah. I, I think, I think you're right. I mean, I think there's just, there's, there's this, this kind of black and white nature that we kind of look at, at words like manipulation and things like this, especially when we're comparing the things that teacher is doing to what we consider good and bad behavior. Um, and I think, I think this opening tattletale, you know, everything Victoria has gone through in this arc shows that these things are more complicated than that. And, and sometimes there is no easy answer. Sometimes manipulating someone for their own benefits is the best option. Right. Yeah. As, I mean, as shitty as that seems, I, I think it, it's kind of fitting that the, in this arc where she has partnered essentially with this villain, um, we're seeing her, at her most sort of uncertain right mm -hmm. uh, i feel like maybe an earlier you know earlier chapter victoria might have had some uh some more kind of uh clear objections to what tattletail was saying but yeah this is she's been hanging out with tattletail for a whole arc she's yeah. been she's been they, they've been actually getting along pretty well for, for all the fact that there's kind of a a um a a, a repartee going on kind of a, where, where they're where they're poking at each other they actually have made a lot of progress and they actually work pretty well as a team. Uh, and, and she can't deny that at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially as we move into, you know, the conclusion of these chapters where we see a Victoria who is just kind of exhausted by the fact that none of her ways of solving problems are working anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So there's one more thing I wanted to point out here before we move on. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, like as Victoria is listening to Tattletale and kind of appalled by her manipulation, we get this little bit with the mask. My leg kept his head stable while my other leg was a spot for my mask to rest on black with gold tracery. It stared at me accusatory or maybe it was accusing of everything it looked at, which is I mean, it's it's perfect. Like we've talked we've kind of talked about the use of the mask throughout this entire arc and and the moments in which Victoria puts it on and takes it off. And, and I love the duality of here of, of it here where it's it's staring at me like if we go back to the the executioner's hood um, bit that you, that you mentioned when we first brought up the mask, like it's staring at her. This is this is 
a version of herself that she has has had to go, go into in the past and she's not sure she feels about it. But also the mask allows her to to be accusing, to judge people as guilty or not guilty, um, those around her. And I think we'll see the mask used that way in these ongoing chapters. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I like I like that that particular phrasing of it to see people as guilty or not guilty. Yeah, yeah. I'll think about that. Uh, so then they move on to talking about the implications of the brooms. Um, so, of course, the, what happened previously was Semiramis told them about the fact that uh, Engel had seen people with brooms and then they tried to hide the fact they had brooms. So, of course, characters think of everything that we thought of uh, and, <laughs> and, and then some. Um, Tattletale saying it's possible, it's possible she, uh, she being custodian is gone but it's also possible it means she's taking breaks going on errands or it means teacher might be anticipating having to replace her so like i i just love this because it's the the fact that the author has has thought of the things that you have thought of and that we're not just making shit up as we go along is just so refreshing (laughs) it is a little validating isn't it Yeah. yeah Yeah, Yeah. I I think it's funny that Victoria uses these brooms as a good way of kind of transitioning away from the uncomfortable barb conversation that's going on between Sveta and uh, Lisa right now. Mm -hmm. Like their conversations ramping up again and they're really coming close to being really rude to each other. And it's like she's um, sweeping it (laughs) under the rug. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I I think the, the. the part of that that got me really interested was this might be anticipating having to replace her. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause it was so funny cause it made me think back to the overseer chapter. And we, we, we saw in this chapter that the overseer values herself extremely high in the hierarchy of this organization. Um, we see that maybe she might have a little something, something for teacher. Like she gives teacher a kiss at one point. Um, I don't think we mentioned that in the episode, but that does happen in the chapter. But we did just, finish talking about how teachers like whole deal is manipulation so like what if this is just the custodian slash overseer thinking she's in charge in the most important part of this organization and just a temporary thing that that uh teacher plans to trash as soon as he doesn't need her anymore it should be very on brand for teacher yeah maybe i i feel like um I feel like that's probably not it, honestly, but it, it's more like Tattletale is, is thinking through all of the consequences that that, that it could mean instead of just jumping to the uh, to the first conclusion. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think I think honestly her her going on errands is the most likely reason for why yeah, I, I'm actually not like saying that, like this line is supposed to make us go down that line of thinking. I'm just saying like that made me think about Mm -hmm. that whole relationship and and like the kind of the uncertainty around that relationship where if you would ask overseer, she'd be pretty convinced that no, I'm like the most important person in this organization. I'm the overseer. Um, Sure. But I, I I don't think teacher probably feels that same way. I I think you're right. And I think that the the dialogue itself makes you ask that question. Mm-hmm. You, you have to think it over think well could she be right about that and you you actually as you're reading sit there and you think hmm I, I hadn't considered the possibility that um you know teacher might be having to replace her or something and then you think through it and you come to your own conclusion but the point is yeah this the story has kind of prompted you yeah i think that's yeah so um i like this specific interaction that happens here where lisa says we need we need two things and then Victoria interjects before she can say what those things are. 
uh, that one of them is a way to stop it, deny him what he wants. And we know from previous moments that this is a typical way that Victoria thinks about fighting villains that she got from her mom. We figure yep. out what they want and we deny them that. And Lisa replies, sort of, um, I would say we need a chink in the armor. And the second thing would be standing in authority. And Victoria certainly thinks often in terms of appearances, relationships, and leadership. So I just really like how they both have their own like pragmatic philosophy about how to fight their enemies. And there's a definite overlap between them with, you know, with Lisa framing it in terms of chink in the armor, Victoria framing it as a way to stop them. Uh, it's just that th there are definite distinctions between those two ideas uh, and in terms of the ways they think, not only how they express it, but what the underlying idea is and, and what they focus on in general. And I think that I think that that's kind of, first of all, it's cool that these characters are so full flesh that they seem to have their own independent philosophies here that make sense, but but also that there's a bit of overlap um, that, that I think is, I think the over uh, the overlap and the fact that they're slightly distinct is the reason that, that they make a pretty good team here. Yeah, I agree, because I th if they were, like, it's so funny because they feel like they're completely opposite of each other, and that's kind of why they butt heads so often. Right. But yeah, if there wasn't overlap, we wouldn't see them able to work together at all so i think i think you're absolutely right that this does show a kind of bleed between their two philosophies yeah i kind of like this too because i think victoria is all about like throughout this entire chapter she's or at least the first part of this chapter she's looking at the clock she's watching the time countdown it's like we went 45 minutes till this thing's gonna happen 21 minutes blah 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 and she's still very much in the we can stop this from happening type of mode uh, Lisa knows, but doesn't reveal it quite this moment that it's already too late. It's too late to stop it. Like we're, we're at the point now where we're not going to be able to stop it. We just have to be in the best position possible to weather the storm and, and be able to counterattack or survive it. Um, and, and I think it's, it's really fascinating to me that like, she tells her this a little bit later, but not right in this moment, right? Like she doesn't, she could have just shot her down right here and said, no, we can't stop it yet. And it's not till a little bit later where she sees, she sees Victoria looking at the clock again and stressing out about the clock that she's like, Hey, you need to, it's too late for that kind of stress. We have a whole different set of stressors that we have to deal with right now. Yeah. It's almost like a gentle kind of manipulation where she, she, she knows that Victoria will react badly to hearing that it's too late. So she just right. kind of holds that back. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Tattletale at this point says that Sveta reminds her of Gru, specifically the new Sveta who is coming into her own in Tattletale's words, um, or, you know, just being really abrasive and aggressive uh, <laughs> in, a, in a different framing. Yeah. Um, so I wonder what she means exactly by this. Like, is this post-second post trigger Gru that she reminds her of? I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not sure. Like, I... I have to be honest, like post second trigger grew to me is kind of this amorphous blob of eh. <laughs> easily, easily pushed around. Right. Yeah. Like, or, or I mean, he's just like he's just suffered so much that like he's he's it feels like he's barely there most of the time. So, yeah. Um, I, so, so I don't so I agree. I don't think that's right. But I, I'm not sure exactly um, exactly what that means. Well, I mean, the, the thing that I like about it is like. Victoria is like shocked by this comparison, right? Like Victoria is like, that's like, I think she says like on a list of 25 people that I think you would be referring to, there's no way that, that he would even make that list. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, I think this is, this is like 
great because from the outside, Gru is this scary guy with the black spooky smoke and this skull mask. Um, but we know Brian. Tattletale knows Brian. We know Brian was like <laughs> out of everyone on the Undersiders was the one that was like trying mostly in vain to get people to just like chill right. <laughs> just like hold back and just like maybe not embrace your most violent and terrible tendencies um so i love that like victoria like doesn't have that read of him at all because she's never really known that person um but but i think i think that's that's when i when i see this comparison that's the one that i made mm-hmm. right like like this person willing to step up and be like no hang on yeah um and I think that's to, that to me. That's that's what I pulled from it. I well, don't know. And and Gru and Tattletail did did clash uh, more than I would say. I mean, certainly more than Taylor clashed with either of them, right? Because yeah. you know, for example, Gru Gru was always the one urging restraint. Tattletail was always relatively more confident. Um, like in, in the bank robbery, Tattletail yeah. wanted to go through with it. Gru didn't. Um, so yeah yeah I, well, think and I think that could be it yeah i also think that's interesting because i think a lot of like taylor never really directly clashed with brian that often um and i think a lot of that has to do with you know their feelings for each yeah. other influencing that but but uh through through her proxy of good old lisa good old enabler lisa um they were able to to have that kind of a proxy fight between tattletale and brian i think you're right so yeah i mean i i, li- I like that I'm not sure if that's exactly what it's going for, but I like that. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. So Victoria ends up messaging Dragon with some of the details of what's going on, despite Tattletale eventually saying that she shouldn't. And Tattletale actually changes her mind here, which I think is a really interesting moment. Yeah, I mean, this this is the moment that we were talking about earlier where Tattletale dishes to Victoria that this is plan is happening no matter what. Uh-huh. This is like, I think it, as part of her maybe trying to convince her that messaging dragon is not a good idea she she finally plays that card um but it doesn't really work and and you're right that victoria goes against tattletale's wishes and just does it anyway and tattletale still is not sure at the end but but yeah there's this really great moment where she's like tattletale nodded for what might have been 10 seconds before saying okay um, and it's like you can almost see her power working as she's going through that. Like she's OK, if her, her power is linking and, and jumping to conclusions based off of, OK, she's going to message her. And and yeah, I mean, like she could have rolled her eyes. She could have pushed back. She could have been snarky Lisa that we've seen so much time, so many times before. And we'll see again before this week's reading is out. But yeah, in this moment, she's just like. OK, okay. yeah. Well, and I liked it because, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think she was thinking it through and I think she may have been consulting her power in addition to just thinking it through. Mm-hmm. But I think f- it was the fact that she ex- extended some trust to Victoria that, that was mm-hmm. actually kind of cool to see that yeah. you know, she basically said, don't do it. And Victoria's like, I- I'm going to do it. And, <laughs> and then in- instead of arguing back, she she kind of you see her thinking like, I'm just going to. I'm I don't think she's trusting Victoria blindly. I think she is kind of calculating through the ramifications of it. But yeah, it's like she's taking Victoria's lead here. And I I like that. Yeah. And I mean, I I think she, Lisa even admits here that she's not a hundred percent sure. She's like, it might help. It Mm -hmm. might hurt us. It might hurt us in the long run, even if it helps in the short term, she's not a hundred percent sure. And yeah, so that is a measure of trust being extended to say, okay, um, I'm not a hundred percent sure where this will lead. I'm going to trust your judgment on this Mm -hmm. one. 
Without, and, without being a jerk about it. And Victoria doesn't explicitly think about it in, the, in these terms, but this actually does qualify, I think, as, as reaching out. Um, yeah. She, she, she has this information. She's tempted to hold on to it because it could backfire, but she chooses to instead reach out with it, even though it's risky. And uh, it's, it seems by the end of this chapter, like it was a good choice or by the end of the, this couple of chapters. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. So they move on. They go to Miss Treats, uh, which is a a, a place uh, <laughs> to, to to meet with the K-53s who Semiramis had told them about. So, yeah, Miss Treats. It's basically a S&MT shop. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm not really into the, the scene, so I can't really do the description full justice. It's like the mullet of tea shops. It's business in the front, party in the back. I, I like that idea. Yeah, we also learned that Parian is a regular here, Matt, which, uh, no kink shaming, of course, but didn't know she, that's what she was into. I guess, like, if your power is to, like, control thread, you're probably pretty into, like, binding. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the, the shards take what they're given, so. <laughs> there you go. You turned into a shard thing. I hadn't even gone there. <laughs> Uh, so inside the the back of the tea house, um, the party section, if, if you will, we meet Egg. Oh my gosh, <laughs> uh, Angle and Scraping. Egg is an egg. Uh, his skin is eggshell, with which cracks with his movement leaking albumin and general goo everywhere. Uh, I really hope that there's some awesome benefit that comes with that. Um, Angle has an emotion and synesthesia power, which sounds really. Uh, pleasant actually if you're not Victoria and scraping is just like flayed and and stuff again hope there's some awesome side benefit to that power (laughs) he has like a constant ruffled shirt yeah yeah he's he's got the fluffy pirate shirt yeah that's uh, made of skin with his own flayed skin can we let's just how does Wildwood come up with this stuff? <laughs> no. Like, Egg is disgusting in, like, the most incredible way. Like, I just look at this description. It's so good. It broke when he moved, with membrane beneath the shell holding it mostly together, and the regular breaking that came with blinking leading to a crumb trail at his cheekbones. Where a part was still for a moment, the cracks closed up, only to break again when that part moved. Here and there, blood mixed in with white, vitreous, and thick yellow yolk weeped out of the biggest cracks. His clothing was normal. A sweater and slim jeans. Oh, good. I'm glad his clothing's normal. But it looked as though he were wearing a plastic layer beneath. His head was hairless and smooth on each side with a shock of yolk yellow hair on top and the same kind of liquid thin as corn silk. Like, it's so... It's tactile and gross and wonderful. I just, like, the, the, the body horror fan in me was just like yeah 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 i know it, it's it's so gross oh uh, and of course the fact that it's egg and then we've got the whole egg thing going on in the background yeah, of the story this, this, this constant motif of egg everything yeah we went on hard boil we don't like eggs yeah the egg. thing was an egg there's, there's eggs a- everywhere already an egg made of people once and here's another egg person yeah <laughs> It was an entire egg made of people, and this is a people made of egg. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. So um, we basically we get to know this trio of K-53s, and we understand their close-knit kind of sibling-like interactions. 
Yeah, I love I love their interactions. Right. I think it's really fascinating that how they kind of ping off each other in not exactly the same, but similar ways to how our trio of detectives are pinging off each other. Um, I mean, they're, they're, it's different personalities, like there's different relationships, but like we have these two groups that are one's trying to get information from the other and everyone's kind of everyone has their own shit internally and then everyone has their own shit across the table as well i think there's just a really well constructed scene where we've got these six people sitting at a table trying to get to a, a common purpose while hate and vitriol and anger is being tossed both sides at each other at at themselves it's just i think it's great i think it's well constructed yeah yeah it's a really great scene right because i, I don't know like there's so much of this of this arc that's been them them following leads they find the people they want to talk to and then it could just be like they they find a person you know like law and order you know the the person is like stacking boxes because in <laughs> law and order they're always stacking boxes while talking to the, to the detective and then they just very you know quickly summarize the information the detective leads and then they're like i got my i got my lunch break in five minutes this better be quick yeah I've watched way too much Law and Order, um, but in, but instead, uh, every single person that they've encountered in this in, in their investigation, it's been this little kind of short story window into the lives of these fully fleshed out characters. Yeah, um, and not just not just in terms of like being an entertaining little diversion, but like oh, this is this is enriching kind of the palette that we're painting this arc with, and and the ideas we're bringing into it. And the situation that we're setting up. Yeah, because I mean, that, you're absolutely right, because as we're going through this journey of Victoria trying to find who did these things to her, we are constantly coming up in contact with other people who have their own lives, their own issues that also were manipulated in some ways. And and I think that is great that we get to see that. I mean, that's like the secret of detective stories is the interview is the most interesting part. It's yeah. always the most interesting part. And, and you're right that so many of these police procedurals like skip over that part because they just want to get on to something else, especially law and order that has to do the whole trial half in the back. Like the police part of law and order is just like, yeah, yeah. Then we got them. Yada. It's lawyers. Right. Um, but yep. yeah, I mean like I, I love it. I, I think it's great. And I think wild Bow understands that, that, that the interview is the best part. And that's what, that's what this arc was. It's a series of interviews with people that have been wronged just like Victoria has. That's awesome. Yeah. I never really, articulated that to myself that that the interview is the best part i mean that i, I certainly agree that was the best part of the um tana french book that we read a while back uh-huh and since we read that book i've read every single one of them <laughs> some multiple times and let me tell you still true still true okay well good so let's move on to talk about angle a bit now that we've talked about egg all right so, so victoria can't handle angle's power uh and it seems to affect her in a qualitatively different way than it affects others because it reminds her of the time when she was in love with Amy. Um, she's basically just extremely creeped out by it. Yeah. And, and the description goes like until this woman with a voice that tasted and felt like biting into brownies fresh from the oven started talking as a pretty fucking close tactile and taste approximation to the contentment of being in love and being with the person you loved, which wasn't, not the hospital room, but scenes before it, before my mom had pounded on the door. And so I love everything about that. I love the, the, the kind of like synesthetic description of 
of what it feels like to be around th- this cape that really kind of brings you into that moment, even though it's a really hard thing to describe. But also, I love this notion that, like, not something I think the story has ever directly stated in this way, but, like, Victoria was actually really happy in the hotel room with Amy or, or whatever it was, the, the room where Amy was continually freaking out, trying to fix her body and continually fucking it up even worse. Yeah. And and her mom coming and banging on the door was actually like, in her mind, a terrible invasion and tragedy because her mom took Amy away from her. And this might even like be a factor in what you know what she resents her mom for in 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 some way like yeah but like being mature about it she knows that her mom saved her but in that moment i'm sure she blamed her mom for taking amy away from her yeah i mean your your brain's being manipulated to feel that way so yeah i i think she probably did and yeah i mean this is i mean this is tragic and horrifying but like from a character perspective i i love this so much because this is uh, we, we see Victoria here spiral and zone out in a way in which she has not done since almost the beginning of the novel, right? She has, she has almost never gotten this bad and Sveta has to like coach her back into reality. That's how bad it got because it's just, it's just so great because like we've seen Victoria make progress over the course of this, this story. She's able to mention Amy. She's able to think about Amy. She's able to think about her time in the hospital and these things, um, without spiraling as much. Yeah. But this is like a whole nother angle that she's never really had to deal with before. Right? Like this is like, like you said, the tactile and taste approximation of being in love and being with the person you loved. This is, she doesn't go back to the hospital here. She doesn't go back, um, to, to like to any of that stuff it's this specific moment and that like she just completely inequipped to deal with that sensation and and i love this because it's like this perfect encapsulation of how tricky trauma can be mm-hmm. you, you put in the work you've developed certain coping strategies you've grown better and are able to deal with things and then your sneaky ass trauma hits you from an angle you didn't even consider you didn't think was coming you you've never had to specifically process that feeling and it's almost as if all that work doesn't even matter anymore in the moment of course it does but it just feels like it doesn't Mm -hmm. in the moment and that's i think what we're seeing here is just like this is an angle of attack into victoria's central trauma that she's just not really had to directly process in this way before and we're seeing a complete inability to do anything about it it's really interesting because she's dealt with Lord of Law, she's dealt with Snag, she's dealt with Rain, she's dealt with with uh, Love Lost, and and uh, man, I I mean I I think I'm literally forgetting emotional powers that she's had to deal with in in the story, yeah. and all of those were like basically explicitly negative experiences right. where right. the emotion power was an attack. This is an emotion power that's actually, you know, at least on face, I would suspect supposed to kind of make you predisposed toward angle and make you like want to be around her. Like it's a kind of like seductive, positive emotion power. Yeah. But, but Victor, because of Victoria's particular trauma, like you said, it, it sneaks right up on her. And yes, she comes into the scene, someone off balance. She's off balance from the start of this arc where she feels rejected by, um, um, by Jessica. She feels alienated from the team because of that. And, and this is catching her unawares. But yeah, I think you're right that it just it just so happens that this is like her Achilles heel. 
Yeah, uh, it's I, it's it's so it's so great. I love that you picked that out, that she, she's gotten really good at dealing with the negative emotions, but a positive emotion. What? I am yeah. not equipped. I am not equipped for with a positive emotion being linked to my trauma. No, yeah. I, that not ready for that. Um, uh, another thing that occurs to me is like, I don't know how much to read into this, if any, but the fact that she does not think about Dean when she thinks about the idea of being in love and being with the person you love, like she doesn't yeah, flash true. back to, you know, lazing around in, in, in bed with Dean, like, like we, like she has before. She's literally reminisced about like studying in her bedroom with Dean before while being subjected to horrible loss, emotion powers. She doesn't think about that while she's having a love and contentment emotion power. So yeah, uh, it, it's, it's very interesting. Again, I don't know what exactly to read into it, but, uh, well, I mean, I, 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 th- I think you could like I don't yeah I don't want to go too far with this I mean I think we've we've discussed the the fact that Dean the Dean relationship is probably more complicated than we've been led to believe but I think it also just shows the overwhelming power that of what Amy did to her mm-hmm. yeah um and and it makes you like it's it's disgusting like it, it like it it like it's it's one thing to like say oh well she made her she made her want her. Right. And that's like, that's very abstract. That's very just like word focused. You don't really have the emotion behind it, but yeah, I mean, this really, this really dives into what that must have felt like and what it feels like to remember what that felt like, knowing it was fake, knowing it was a violation of, of who you like are at your core. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, I think just like, this dive into that is so beautiful um in a horror like in a, yeah. in, a in a narrative way yes right I, I i sometimes say these things and i, I don't i'm not saying like this is great um it, yes it's it's a, a horror awesome yeah. yeah there you go there you go and i think i think the thing that's important here that leads us into a lot of victoria's choices near the end of the this arc is Sveta pulls her out of this, right? Sveta is the one that, that coaxes her back to reality. That said, that says here, focus the, the, this, this beautiful line of smell, the baked goods, the tea, think about today, what you did. We sent off the prisoners. You went to drop, look out off, saw tattletale. Remember the errands you ran with her. Um, this is just a great centering technique to bring you back to reality. Focus on the things that, that you've done today, which uh, reminds me that this whole arc has taken place over the course of a day, which yeah. is just like, fuck these days that's <laughs> just rough yeah no I, I definitely uh would have bet money that the conversation with jessica was not this morning um but, but it totally it was, was. Yeah. yeah 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 and and this i mean so i bring up the sveta thing just because like i think so much of the importance of writing is making moments feel earned and what we're doing here is we're building to something. We're building to this moment at the end of chapter 11, this moment where Victoria makes a decision that seemingly goes against everything she believes in or had believed in for the sake of a friend. And so this moment is building to that. This moment where Sveta is the person for her there now helping her, despite all the shit that Sveta's going through right now. She's there for her. And I think that's an important way of of, of showing the process of building to understand the choice that Victoria makes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree completely. Yeah. I mean, like, especially as we're approaching it, it it's very important that we feel that, uh, that those, that that choice is justified. Absolutely. Yeah. <coughs> Game of Thrones. <coughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I have that same cough. <laughs> um, yeah. So, 
sorry. So yeah, so they discuss what Angle and Egg remember from their visit to Teacher's Base, including details on the probable locations of the portals that they used to get in. So basically we're learning about vulnerabilities. Uh, Tattletale informs them that having participated in the investigation like they are right now has now put them on Teacher's, you know, on Teacher's radar, uh, which is, uh, I, I feel like that's at least partly Tattletale just manipulating them into coming along uh, to the wardens. Um, like she didn't need to say that, right? She didn't need to, to, to alert them to that fact. And I don't, I don't even know if teacher would particularly care to go after them at this point. Um, but Telltale wants them to come along to serve as witnesses. Yeah. And I, I like that you use the word manipulation again, because I, I yeah. think you're right that that's, that is at least partially what she's doing and it's all over this chapter. And yeah, I mean, this kind of, it works, but it escalates the conflict here a bit because they are mad and they are mad at Sveta specifically, or at least egg is mad at Sveta specifically. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's set aside a moment here to talk about how Sveta specifically is, is doing because it's, it's easy to fixate on how Victoria is doing because she's the point of view. And this is a really unpleasant situation um, for, you know, for, for Victoria, but like, it's also a really unpleasant situation for Sveta and well, it's been a really horrible day. Like, it, like as bad of a day as this has been for Victoria, I think it's been a worse day for Sveta, honestly. And and this is just about the worst day for her to have to face Egg and Angle and, and scraping and and be put in the situation with them. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and the thing like, I I think I think you and I have been talking about how afraid we are of Sveta or or the potential of what Sveta's going through blowing up in a big way for arcs now yeah um and i just like i feel so bad like i'm just selling her so short right like like like, i know she's going through a lot i know she's got a long way forward but i'm really impressed by how much she's holding shit together in these moments um yeah i mean like and this this moment you're you're absolutely right that this moment with this case 53 is just is just designed to to attack her in like the place where she's most insecure, right? Like this whole interaction. I love, I love the back and forth, this interaction because the way wild Bo establishes this is if you have, you have angle, who is this person that seemingly at the start of the conversation is like totally on her side, right? Like I, we've missed the talks. I love your arms. Um, Sveta is like, I had a whole body and it got trashed. And she said, I'm so, so sorry, honey. And I think the use of honey there is really great because it's just like this, this warming, endearing, uh, word that like, and, and you see that like Sveta eases up in her tension, the, the darkness on her face clears up again. And, and Victoria says she looks more like my friend again. And then egg swoops in and drops his until she betrayed us. And that's kind of the way the conversation goes, right? It's like if angle, like, sticks up for her says something nice for her egg is there to 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 you know back it down and make it worse again and it's just i can't imagine i can't imagine that in the midst of everything she's going through yeah um egg is is shitty i hope somebody yeah, very shitty so somebody shitty. cracks him um and it, yeah it's it's just it's absolutely brutal and and it, it, i mean it's like doubly brutal i mean i, I don't want to skip ahead too much but the fact that Angle is being so nice and then like just completely stabs her in the back as they're yeah. getting into the car later. It yeah, just makes the, it so much worse. That's the twist of the knife, really. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, that's the moment that leads directly up to her accidentally hurting Victoria's finger, which is like, again, the most we've seen her lose control, which is very impressive. Right. <laughs> true. True. 
Um, so yeah, so yeah. no, I just I, I just I, I kind of just want to keep going down all this stuff. Like I yeah. I literally copy pasted a page here because like I, I think I think all this is just so great. Like Egg says there is no us, and and Sveta just kind of brushes it off and keeps going. Like tells more information about like clarifying information about Cauldron headquarters. Um, and then this, this all kind of comes to a head at the end of the conversation where, um, Sveta is saying, I, I didn't want this. And egg says, don't, I didn't. And then he goes on his full out rant. And I kind of wanted to read this cause I think this is important. Yeah. You said you didn't want what happened before either, but we're playing through it in fast forward. Now you told me you were sorry once, but sorry doesn't mean shit. If Egg stopped. He made a fierce enough expression and talked violently enough that it had cracked his chin open. He wiped at the mess and left a streak of red across the line of his jaw. That hand held his jaw together as he finished. Doesn't mean shit if you don't learn from it or change anything or make amends. I'm helping people. Like you were when you were with us, except you're repeating the exact same old mistakes. And you want to waltz into our lives, earn our trust, and fuck us over again, exactly as before. So... I want to I want us to zoom back to this moment of betrayal a bit. Right. Because like per glowworm, egg was one of the ones that was there at Cauldron HQ the day that they they invaded and and Weld and Sveta decided to stand between them and their justice. Um, And and as a refresher from all the people that don't remember, the irregular the irregulars um, invaded Cauldron as the world was ending and they wanted to get their revenge. Sveta and Weld were not all about brutally killing all the people uh, everyone else in the irregulars were they stood in their way and stopped them and prevented them from getting their revenge um, and then were even more upset with uh, with Sveta after she said that I killed Dr. Mother and it's like oh so you stopped us from doing it and then you did it yourself yeah no I, I mean it's uh, it's definitely like I, I think I think it is easy to forget about all of this stuff that that is in the background with Sveta because again we're stuck in Victoria's head we're not necessarily remembering like why this is so hard for Sveta. So, so the story does have to go out of its way to remind us of that. Yeah. But I do wonder the, the, the reason why I kind of want to, I, I dove into this and, and checked out Glowworm again and, and re reminded myself of the specifics of this whole thing is because I, I, I don't know. I, did you, did you get the feeling here that like, I feel like there's something more going on here a little bit. And I don't I don't know why I feel that way, but it's just like something about the way Egg described this situation. Like you you waltz into our lives, earn our trust and fuck us over again. Like I, I just feel like I feel like there's I, I really in, I'm really curious about what Egg's actual perspective is on this whole thing. Like what like like I, I want to see I want to see what Sveta and Well did f- from the mind of of an irregular. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember if we've ever said this on the show before, but it is interesting that, like, they just hate her so much. And yeah. at least part of you is, is, I mean, I think a big part of me was always just like, well, people love to form cliquish, uh, uh, like, fuck that person type, like, like mob mentality yeah. where th- that person really didn't do anything objectively wrong. It's just that we've all decided that we're going to define our little group by hating them. But I, I absolutely think that you have a, a point that it's, it's possible that we are missing something. Sveta may have actually done something beyond what we are made aware of, you know, yeah. currently in the story that, that would actually to some degree justify or, or at least 
more than our current opinion, which is that it's not justified at all, uh, support their behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially like we've been reminded twice in this arc now of the fact that Weld did this, too. And they yeah. hate me way more than they hate him. And and yes, like there is on there is a level that you're like, well, everything she says is is correct, that like he's a very personable, like good, good looking built dude. Right. That just like is everyone kind of likes like the celebrity kind of guy. So that makes sense on a very logical level of like why you would you would blame the the tentacle squid thing more than the like literal literal man of steel um but yeah i mean i feel like we've been reminded this thing more times i don't know i don't know if i'm just barking up a ridiculous tree or not but it just it just kind of the first time i read this i was kind of it feels weird to say like shocked about just how bitter he is about the specifics of the betrayal like it's just like we wanted to kill someone you said i don't want to kill them and so now like the level of betrayal yeah seems like incongruous it, a little bit it is it is like if you take it at the at the assumptions that we have then egg is having one of those like are we the baddies moments where he's like you you didn't <laughs> let me bathe in her blood like i wanted to right fuck you and it's like how do you not know how crazy you sound egg yeah and, and how does everyone yeah. around you not like act really freaked out by that but yeah um but they don't which i which i agree like and and i agree with you that that it almost begs for an explanation that we've we've heard a couple of times from sveta that everyone hates her much more than they hate weld and yes you, you're tempted to supply your own explanation but yeah. um see it seems like now that it's been mentioned twice it, it it's going to be explained more explicitly why do yeah. they hate her more than weld yeah yeah and I, I, like and that's not to say that people can't have entirely stupid irrational reasons that don't make any sense people absolutely can have that but i do think that the fact that the story has circled this a few times does does beg that question i think you're right yeah yeah so i don't know conspiracy theory scott at it again we'll see <laughs> right you and your it's conspiracy theories <laughs> so speaking of glowworm scott i went back and i looked at it and uh, Sveta specifically communicates with Engel um, via like a thread, although I don't know if they actually recognize each other's existence. Engel posts in a thread mm-hmm. and Whippersnap is the one who PMs her. Um, and and in their discussion, which is mainly just Whippersnap snap being shitty to her, she, uh, he actually states that Egg was the only one to make it back from Cauldron. So that's interesting, right? Like, yeah, the only one, literally all those other K-53s. Like, am I interpreting that right? All I think the, so. I didn't read the whole chapter. I didn't read the whole interaction. But yeah, I, I, I believe it said that he's the only one who made it back. Yeah. I mean, um, that, I mean, that that also helps to explain the bitterness, right? That like we didn't get our revenge and she lived and I watched every one of my true friends die. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm misinterpreting that. Anyway. I mean, I, Something I did pick up when I re- and this is completely tangential, but I I read this I read parts of this chapter of Glowworm today, and um, I forgot that Capricorn was also posting in the, the thread that Svet is posting in uh-huh. because he's like backing up Weld, and like at the time didn't think anything of that, but now we know that Tristan 
super into Wells. Yeah. So it's just like, it's, it's like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Right. Going back to read Glowworm. If you guys, if none of you guys have gone back to read sections of Glowworm yet, uh, I really recommend you do it. It's really fascinating. It's eye opening. It's wonderful. Like it, it kind of proves that at least broadly, the the strokes and and beats of these characters were established you know from the beginning yeah absolutely yeah um uh, yeah right so tattletale uh from here tattletale states that the plan is to travel together to the former warden's headquarters uh, and then she just like makes eye contact with victoria and victoria correctly interprets this as a signal that this is a decoy plan yeah what I love about this is is this this Victoria's interpretation of what Lisa is doing relies on the use of trust me. And then she says, well, she knows I'd never trust her. Therefore, she must be playing some mind games. But by cracking the code, she's inherently trusting her. Yeah. Right. Like she's trusting that she that uh, she Tattletail knows her. that she wouldn't. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it's trust. Like that is what it is. Like it's like he's like saying I would never trust her. But by supporting this and, and going along with this, that is a, a level of trust that she has to like worm her way around because she can't come up right out and say, it. yes, I will trust you, Lisa. Yeah. She, can't, she doesn't say that. I'm just going to say it. They have great teamwork together, but yeah. it's just hilarious that, that Victoria bends over backwards to avoid internally acknowledging that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. So uh, they then head outside to get in the car and Ingle goes out of her way to be horrible to Sveta. Um, and at this moment, both Victoria and Tattletail step up to defend her. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think the the emphasis on Tattletail there was important. Yeah, um, because I mean, like this is just you're absolutely right. This is this is almost worse than what Egg did. At least Egg was up front with his nastiness and Angle is like playing this long game where she's like, oh, you have arms. I'm so happy yeah. for you. Oh, I'm so sorry you lost your body. And then she's like, I'm grieving for my yeah. friend Sveta. Yeah, you're dead to me is yeah, what that I, means. Yeah, basically, basically. You are here, but she isn't. It's just like, fuck you. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. so, ugh. Yeah, and, and Tattletail does jump to her defense, and I think it's because even Lisa, even Lisa, snarky asshole Lisa, recognizes how just fucked up that is. Yeah. Um, and, and probably get, is getting a good read on how, how bad Sveta is actually doing in these moments. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean, basically, earlier when I mentioned like the, the way Tattletail thinks about fighting her enemies is she thinks about finding chinks in the armor that's her whole psyche that's her whole power she's looking for chinks in the armor she's looking for yeah. weaknesses that they used to actually believe you know the PRT used to believe that her power was seeing weaknesses that's not what it is but that is how she leverages it right yeah yeah um and and so she probably is very conscious of the fact that Engel is poking Sveta right in a sore spot. And regardless of whether she likes Sveta or not, she probably finds that a little bit offensive. Yeah. No, nobody fucks with people's weaknesses. Except me. me. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's not like Lisa's like a horrible person either. Like I can see her just being like, Hey, that's, that's too far. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, she does have a line. It's, it's, it's way, it's way further (laughs) than most people's lines. But she has one. Yeah. Yeah. So they get in the car. Victoria tries to comfort her. Um, and Sveta is so tense that she slightly injures Victoria's finger. Yeah. I mean, again, this is the closest we've ever seen to Sveta actually just losing control throughout this entire, you know, post-weld breakup world. And I think yeah. that's commendable that this is the most. And, like, I feel like, I don't know, 
Victoria was almost asking for it here. Like in the, she like, like dove into her tentacles. Right. Like, ra- like it's like, she, like this was her desperately trying to give her physical contact because she just wants to make her feel better and she feels powerless to do so, which again is setting us up for the long game with the decision she makes. I like that framing that, that like n- normally it would, it would seem like a bit much for her to like shove her hand into the morass of tentacles. Yeah. But here it's almost like a desperate, like, um, o- overwrought gesture of like I'm I'm really here for you. Like your yeah. like your friend's having a hard time. You you grab them around the shoulders so hard that it like hurts. You know that's kind of what this is almost. Yeah. Um. And um and and yeah, like you said, if anything, like the fact that Sveta hurts her here is probably a bit of a. It's like the opposite of helpful, right? It's like taking Sveta at this low moment. And now, great! Now Svet has hurt her friend. Yeah, it's it's unintentional, and there there's a lot of unintentional hurting going on in this chapter between these two characters. Because one thing we didn't mention that the reason the the, the initial trigger 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 the initial trigger for uh, Victoria's spiraling is um, uh, Angle starts going down a mode of like, oh, she's the one with multiple heads and limbs, mm-hmm. and in a rush to defend her. Sveta speaks up and speaks over Engel, which causes Engel to raise her voice a little louder, which like turns on the intensity of the feeling a little bit more. And that's where Victoria kind of the intensity of the voice kind of comes in a little bit more. And and finally, it causes her to just completely spiral. And it was a completely unintentional thing that Sveta was doing in an attempt to help and defend her friend. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's that kind of happens here in this in this desperate attempt to make Sveta feel better at all costs. She might have just made her feel a little bit worse. So there's a lot of beats of Sveta unintentionally injuring people, which is like her main thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So this this line here, um, I put my eyeless mask on and my hood up and I told myself it was so I could better fly through the cold wind when and if I had to fly to rescue them. Yeah. So the phrasing, I mean, just the delightful like she she's basically hiding putting on her 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 executioner hood and mask hiding and then telling and then the, I told myself meaning yeah basically fully aware that she's telling a story to herself she's really yeah. just shrinking away from everything she doesn't even have the energy to bullshit herself yeah. at this point right like she's she's just being totally honest with herself even as she's doing the action right um it, it's it's amazing okay. i love it so yeah, much and yeah it's again using the imagery of the mask this black mask as a as a thing that uh that kind of shifts her into a different line of thinking dehumanizes her more um the the executioner the one that sends people like she's she doesn't want to be that she doesn't want to be the human side right now because it's too hard yeah yeah um so as they are driving teachers stroke falls the full contents of most people's computers are now available online uh, and she knows the people that she cares about will soon be reading the diary yeah i mean and and this means everyone right everyone but i, I think it's really it's really fascinating to me that and, and it and it's because like what we're what we're doing with this is kind of showing that what who teacher is going after specifically here is the cape human conflict but the first person she thinks about is Presley, Natalie, and Jester, right? These three, these three non-powered human people in her life that she really likes and respects, um, and how this could have destroyed everything forever. Um, yeah. and, and we, and this is like this, we find out that like, that's what the attack was for a method of not only wedging apart parahumans from each other, but finally ripping that wedge between parahumanity and humanity 
totally apart. And I think we see that telegraphed through the first persons, I th- first people I think about, Presley, Natalie, Jester. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right because, you know, shortly we're going to see that the heroes actually take this pretty well. Um, like, yeah, they're, it doesn't blow the wardens apart, you know. Yeah. It, but we we don't see the fallout of the effect it's going to have on the on the humans. Yeah. There's so. there's no. I mean, there's no like. <clears throat> there's no moment where she goes, "Oh no, Sveta is going to read the diary and find out that I knew about Weld." Right. Um. There's no moment where she's she goes, "Oh no, Rain is going to hear all this this dragging I'm silently doing of him in my head, <laughs> and it's going to be really hurt by it." Like that. She doesn't seem she. That's not that's not her first initial concern. And I mean, the point of that, I think, you know, metatextually, is to point us, the reader, towards this idea that the 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 angle of this attack is specific to that festering conflict between humans and parahumans that we've been talking about from the very beginning. Yeah. Right. I almost feel like this has been set up the entire story from the very first chapter. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to read this line here. Okay. Earlier, Sveta had brought me back to reality by touching on details around me. Now I abandoned that reality. I turned to thoughts of the hospital room, darkness, and some mixture of stray animals and vermin transmuted into pale, reaching flesh. I remembered watching the clock endlessly until I could hear the tick of it, and the pain I held in my chest mirrored that heart I'd been given that had been made to be broken. Oh, God. Oh, my God. This is like the darkest we've ever seen her, right? It's just like, it's just like, I choose to go to my dark place. I choose to dive into my trauma. I choose to, to, to dive into the every part of me I've been trying to think not think about and, and ignore. I mean, it, it gets even worse, right? Where she says like, like she basically says, okay, if everyone thinks we're monsters, then okay. Yeah. I'm just going to have to deal with that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's part of the meaning of her putting on her mask and her, like she's yeah. not just hiding. Like, I think I, I think I don't even necessarily think that she is hiding per se. I think that she's, donning this this regalia to to like reflect how she wants to be right now it's like it's like when you're you know in the throes of a breakup and you and you're intentionally listening to the terribly sad depressing music (laughs) right you're wallowing and you're self-consciously wallowing you're wallowing while thinking fine fuck it might as well just wallow everything's everything's gonna suck regardless of whether i'm you know and 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 i it's 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 true that we've never seen her do this before, not not to this extent, certainly, but this idea that she's intentionally turning her thoughts into this, these darkest of places that she has. And I mean, I, I don't want to um, I don't want to undercut the the seriousness of it and the fact that it is an impactful line, but it's almost it's borderline like emo, like the the, the language of like the heart that had been, made, had been made to be broken. Oh my God. I love that line yeah. so much. I, I, I love it. I love it in a serious way. And I also love that it's just like so dramatic, right? Like yeah. she's, oh, yeah. she's just it's, diving directly into the drama. It's angsty as hell. And, yeah. and like the, the thing that I love about the end of this chapter is like the, the language, like a, even, even before we get to this dark spot, the language is so final. Like the, 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 the finality of it. Like when she mentions Natalie and Jester and, and Presley, she says it was possible a door had permanently closed here. Right. Like she, she hasn't even fully 
examined the outcome of what's going to happen here, but it's already like, well, it's pro- door is probably permanently closed here. There's there, if that door shuts, there's no coming back from it. And that's like her whole attitude around that. Um, and, and that even like goes right into the next chapter because like the next chapter starts with, with like the, the sentence, the car door slammed with finality, right? Like yeah. and that's like such a, it's such a good, I know we haven't quite gotten there yet, but it's such a good transition of this, this overall feeling where it's just like, okay, it's done. It's too yeah. late. Might as well just do this now. And that's kind of Victoria through the rest of, of tonight's episode is going to, going to have that central attitude. I think I agree completely. I mean, it's, it's literally a black mood. Like yeah. it's, it's exactly, exactly. It's, it's a, it's a, she's in a frame of mind where she is barely even herself. Mm-hmm. Like like the things that she says in the course of this chapter, the places she's willing to go are, are not things that I feel like a Victoria two arcs ago would have done. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you know, it, it being a black mood of course is perfect. And the thing that I, I love about it and we'll, we'll see this in the next chapter is how, how much of this is circling around Sveta, right? Because like, she says in these moments, even as she's allowing herself to go into this darkness, she says um, that that the Sveta issue is even more pressing than all this other stuff, I feel. So, like, yeah. I just love how this is this is a and maybe we'll talk about this at the end of the chapter. But this is an arc that opened with, OK, we left 12 and 12 was like, OK, the big problem that Victoria needs to focus on is going to be Sveta. And then all the shit with the diary happened. So then me, the reader, was like, oh, I guess we're not doing Sveta yet. But we've looped back around to it. And now, like this, everything that's happened to Victoria and Sveta in these arcs was leading up to it being this is the Sveta moment of the story, right? And I just mm-hmm. didn't see that coming after the first couple chapters of the arc. And I think it's just fantastic how that was done. Yeah, it was done in a way, it was kind of my favorite kind of writing where it, it makes sense in retrospect from, from the end of this subsequent chapter we're about to get to. Mm-hmm. It all makes sense in retrospect, but I couldn't have predicted that like that was the path that it was going to take to get there. Yeah. So yeah, let's get into 13.11. Sure. And Victoria sets the tone for this chapter with her initial pronouncement. The first thing she says, I've been a bad friend. Yeah. And I almost, uh, when I was doing my notes, I almost was like, Matt, has she been a bad friend? I almost like asked that and I wanted to have a discussion about that. But then I realized that doesn't matter. (laughs) It, it, It doesn't matter if, if whether or not Victoria has actually been a bad friend or not, because she thinks she does. She yeah. thinks she is. And that and that is part of what motivates her actions in this chapter. Like like I just said, even as Teacher's Plan broke out, she still prioritizes the Sveta issue. It was more pressing. I have to help her. I have to help her. I have to solve her problem. Even all this other stuff is happening. I have to do that. And that helps explain the choice she makes at the end of this chapter. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that Victoria is, is this true hero. Like she has this true hero mentality, even though yeah. she doesn't let herself see herself that way even though she sees herself as this like fallen non like impure hero type she she is this hero who she's always going to put everyone before herself she does try to take care of herself but if her if her friends are in need she's going to put them first and in her mind she's being a bad friend because she's not taking care of sveta yeah because she hasn't solved her problem yet yeah yeah and and, yeah. and and that's exactly right like i certainly don't think victoria's been a bad friend i think yeah. that victoria within her worldview that that is what she expects of herself yeah i mean yeah it's hiding your best friend's boyfriend breaking up with her it's not it's not great that's not great, that's not great. That she didn't handle that the super well <laughs> 
The super wellest. No. I love that. No. Uh, so minor thing here that I just love about this story and the way it's written is this Victorianism where she just repeats what the person said when she can't think of what to say. Yeah. Like when Sveta says, maybe uh, she's talking about Weld, maybe not a relationship role model, but Weld as a hero? Absolutely. Absolutely. I echoed Sveta. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, not only is, is the repeating things of Victorianism, but the noting to herself that she's doing this uh-huh. is also a Victoria thing. Like it's not enough for her to just, I don't know what to say, uh, repeat, but she has to say, she has to say to herself that she's doing this. She has to explain to herself, uh, this is the best I can do. And it's such, it's like she needs to give herself permission to do nothing but just repeat the person by going through this internal monologue of, of, of why I'm just repeating myself. I think it's just, that's so Victoria. Yeah. It's just a subtle thing that really brings the character to life. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been, I've been like feeling feeling for this character so much this arc that it, it you know it takes really excellent writing to put you in that space where you're like oh poor victoria and like your brain as far as your brain is concerned this is a real person this is your friend you care about yeah yeah uh so inside the warden's headquarters uh the lighting has inverted the lighting now comes from where, where the shadows had been earlier in the day and there's darkness where the light had been and it's all reversed and <laughs> thematic yeah i don't want to dwell on this for too long because i think it kind of like it's self-explanatory a little Uh, bit right there's not much to say about it but like it's it's perfect like and it's not even just the lighting has inverted the light from the windows was soft this light is sharp and like victoria it's it's not just that this thematic lighting changes there it's that it's that angsty bad mood victoria is like it's like treasuring that it's like, ah, yes, this, this is, this is the lighting that fits what we do here. Like <laughs> when we disposed of the prisoners earlier today, it should uh-huh. have been this lighting because this is the right lighting. Um, it, it just, it's so maps wonderfully to her mood here. I mean, even the use of like dispose of the yeah. prisoners, she specifically says that it's like, this should be the lighting when we dispose of the prisoners. And it's like, that has a very specific connotation to it. Um, and it's, uh, God, it's just such a great way of capturing her mood like that's this whole this whole early part of the story is just doing overtime to capture her specific mood and it works it works really well yeah i I love it yeah not much to add to that yeah uh she walks up to the to the front desk and the receptionist says can i help you antares heavy question tattletale said quiet (laughs) enough i wasn't sure the receptionist caught it i avoided reacting (laughs) Oh, my God. Cool it, Lisa. Right. Oh, my God, Lisa. Like, I, I don't want to overthink this. <laughs> That's what we do. But, um, but I, I, do you think maybe like this return to kind of barbed Lisa might be her picking up on a little bit of Victoria's black mood right now? Um, Like that, like she's now shifted to like a much darker mood than she had earlier in the last chapter where we kind of saw Lisa maybe back off of the poking at, at Victoria a little bit. And now it's back because she's like picking up this, this bad, bad mood that she's in. I don't know. She definitely needles people more when she is, um, you know, afraid off balance, um, herself compromised, you know, she definitely does it more when she gets her power headaches. So I think, I think the fact that she's making these kind of like unnecessary jabs, Especially when she should know that Victoria is like on the edge of, of snapping, yeah, uh, is is maybe a sign that she's not doing so hot herself. Yeah, 
Well, her power is probably like looking at Victoria and going, danger, Will Robinson. Yeah, right. She's going to betray you in like <laughs> one minute. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so Lisa conti- yeah, continues to poke Victoria's wounds as they ascend the stairs. And then she gets chucked, quote unquote, chucked through a portal into a snowy dimension prison. Just, um, just throwing people. Which, I mean, it's for, like, the, the the prison world. Like, she just threw Tattletail into the prison world. And yes, they know where she is, and it's, like, a, a specific part of the prison world that she's going to be safe. But it's, like, this is where we throw the bad people to die. Go hang out there for a bit. Yeah, right. Um, we'll, we'll get back to you, probably. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just love, like, the, 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 the moment leading up to this, this little bit right here, like, I think encapsulates this trio's entire relationship. So Victoria says, you're being annoying, I told her surprisingly annoying very sveta echoed i'm just being me tattletail said and that's like quintessential there right like you have you have victoria annoyed at her but like good old like like wants to wants to maybe see the best in people victoria is like it's it's surprising how annoying you're being like i still don't i still would expect better of you um and then sveta's just like turning the knife a little bit and then Tattletail is just like, Hey, this is just me. Uh-huh. I think that's just like a perfect encapsulation of, of their entire relationship in three lines. I agree. I love it. Um, I, so they're, they're still with the old man. Uh, I like this language here. He had a bit of a creepy vibe. <laughs> it sucked that my feelings about the guy were so mixed on the one hand, creepy reverse cannibal. On the other, he was a survivor of a kind we really didn't have enough of. Every minute, hour, or day he lived, he was blazing new ground, as far as I knew, raising the bar for all of us. I, I, it's just, you know, we, we talked last week about this interesting way that she has of, of, of seeing the old man, what he means to her. Yeah. And, and here, it, it's, it's basically she's explaining that a little bit more, explicating it for us, this idea that he's she wants to learn from him. I think she, she thinks all capes can learn from him. How does he, how does he do it? Yeah. Well, and, and I think she's raising the bar on that a little bit here too. Right. Mm-hmm. I, like, I wonder how much of this is tied to this internal feeling that she hasn't even, you know, said yet, which is that fuck non capes. Like, yeah. like, like she's always placed like it. She's always kind of placed a priority on the Cape side, right? Like that was her big, you know, dividing point with Yamada, which is how much, how much the focus on the Cape stuff versus the human stuff. Um, and, and she's always valued, you know, success in Capedom. Um, and, and that's what he represented the first time she kind of went through this stuff in her head. But now in this moment where she's about to be like, let's stop considering the lay people. Uh Um, she's once again saying, look at this guy, like capes. Yeah. Fuck everyone else. Like, I, I just like, I wonder how much of this connected to that. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, kind of a team thing. Right, I, right. I considered that. Yeah, like a bit of a creepy vibe, which is like the understatement of the fucking century. Yeah. yeah. He, he makes people eat him. Yeah, on the one hand, reverse cannibal. I love that. <laughs> uh, so Defiant, uh, they get upstairs. Defiant gives Victoria props for catching case 12. And basically goes out of his way to make her feel better about everyone previously thinking that she was a manipulative monster. <laughs> Thanks, um, buddy. I like this exchange between them. No need for apologies. Makes sense to do, right? Got to keep an eye on things. There's no PRT keeping tabs on dangerous parahumans. You can be sorry even when wholly justified in your actions, he said. Can you? I think so. And and like that 
they just leave it at that, right? And I think yeah. that's that's great because it makes sense that Colin would would say and, and think this, and that he spends a lot of time thinking about these things. Actually, yeah, yeah. Um, and Victoria, if anything, like she's being she's being kind of conciliatory. Like she she probably really actually does appreciate the the apology, but she's gonna say like, oh, you don't need to apologize. You you, you were you were only doing the rational thing, but at the same time, we know that she's been completely gutted by yeah. everyone thinking this of her the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I think I think her reaction with Jessica uh, basically proves that. Where yeah. where Jessica's like, "Does that make it better?" And she's like, "No, nah, no." Nah. Yeah, right. um, yeah. I mean, I, I love this idea is this this central idea of you can be sorry even when wholly justified in your actions. Um, I, I think. I think Victoria would have problems with that statement. Um, I mean, she kind of challenges it here. Like she doesn't really force the issue, but can you is kind of a challenge to that. Um, and I think that that's very in line with a Victoria who is kind of going through some shit still. Um, she go, still leftover shit from the last arc still, right? Like we, we got to remember that in the three weeks leading up to the events of this day, she was having nightmares um, to the point that Ashley was aware of it. She's really terrified of of the fact that she might have killed someone in the cradle thing um she, we thought it was Etna for a while turns out no you just fixed her with a concussion cool um but she's still thinking about the people she may or may not have killed um she's feeling she, at the start of the story of this arc she's feeling terrible about sentencing the people to the prison world these are things that were justified um and you still kind of feel sorry about them and i don't think she knows how to how to feel about that yeah, that's fascinating. This, that that like like she won't she won't let herself um, process it the way that Defiant is, and clearly it's it's a coping mechanism that he's needed to develop. Yeah. Um. Wow, that's great. I, I want to think about that now, but unfortunately, I don't have time to. Yeah. Sit and think about something for five minutes quietly. Which which of Defiant's past actions do you think he feels were wholly justified? <laughs> I mean, that's an interesting interesting hole to go down. Um, I don't know. Good question. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You could say like the way they they've dealt with some of their, um, with some of their more dangerous enemies, like even ones that we haven't necessarily seen, but but also ones that we have seen. Yeah, was pretty ruthless, but in in a way where there was no other way to to deal yeah. with it. You know. Yeah, I mean, I do love this. We've we've kind of used Colin as not a foil, but like a and not not exactly a mentor either but he has been there at certain points in the story to kind of like not, not explicitly but kind of help her along through the stuff she's struggling with because like i mean the cool thing about sequels is we this Colin's a guy who went through an arc he went through this arc and he came out of it a better person on the other side and he's learned um he's learned the things that that he he's learned all the the um ways to become this better person and he has advice for her and i i love i love his role there yeah yeah and i love that this interaction kind of is just left there for her to either think about or maybe not yeah yeah so uh we then join a convocation uh of cool capes who we know and love uh well does not here i wonder if he stayed out like he's if he stayed away out of consideration for sveta i don't know I want to say yes, mm -hmm. because if yes, that's the smartest goddamn thing he's done all day. <laughs> um, but I think uh, anything that that whole conversation taught me as well, it's kind of a dum-dum. And <laughs> I don't know. 
I don't know. Maybe maybe he didn't decide it. Maybe it was decided for him uh-huh. somebody, by his superiors. Yeah. Somebody mentioned to him that maybe yeah. it would be a good idea. Yeah, maybe it would be a good idea or, if you're not here. Well. Or, or maybe he was just busy. But, you know, I, yeah. I, I definitely kind of had the thought of like, yeah, he that that would be in character. Yeah. Uh, Victoria Mass Tracker. Um, we have to keep an eye on this. She takes it off again. Okay. When, yep. as, she, as she approaches to join the meeting, she pulls off her mask, lets down her hood you know, welcomes the more human side of her again in, in interacting with these guys. Yeah. Trying to be, trying to be open. Yep. So here the writing takes on this interesting style as Victoria processes and internally summarizes dragons reports. So, you know, there's stuff like this where it's like speculation colon. They'd wanted those minutes, nothing else. Um, referring to the idea that they, they did this attack that was, not actually successful, but it did succeed in stalling them. And I think this is one of those times where, like, on a writing level, yeah, this information could have been conveyed, like, via dialogue, could have been conveyed via Dragon actually saying these things and people asking questions. Um, but, like, I feel like maybe there was just no way to make it intrinsically dynamic, and so it, it works out best if it's just laid out like this like this is one one of the few cases in my life that i can say like i i liked that this that this information was just like stated in in powerpoint form you know yeah yeah i like that take on it i I also think victoria is like only kind of here Mm -hmm. like she's she's thinking about other things she's focusing on other things she's turning through things so like she recognizes the importance of what their discussion, but she's not hanging on every word. So her internal monologue is kind of just summarizing it. And it's also like, it's a mix between what dragon is saying and what she's reading in the report. So she's all just kind of summarizing it. And like, it even says like she's flipping through pages, like looking for, um, key points, looking for key points. Yeah. It's almost like if it had been, if it had been a long conversation, then Victoria would have actually just spaced out of it and we wouldn't have gotten the information. Right, right. So it may, so it kind of has to be this way. I do think it's a cool way of like showing that like these rules of storytelling aren't hard fast, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you can you can break them if you have uh, a reason to do it. And I, and I, yeah, I mean I think I think there's a reason for this and and so I think it did work. It it it, it translated to me the mood and the tone of the character right now in in how kind of indifferent she was to this until legend starts speaking and then she kind of breaks back into it and starts paying attention again and we switch back to dialogue. Yeah, I mean this is about as sharp of a of a break of the rules as you can get, right? But but it's it's one of those things where like if you understand the purpose of the rules then you can break the rules because you're you're not violating the the underlying reason why that rule is there. Yeah, because the 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 reason why you, I'm trying to think of a way to say this that makes me sound smart, but like <laughs> if you're using the reason why the rule exists to make a point about something, then breaking it is fine, right? Yeah, like cuz right. that's the point. Exactly. Yeah, I I I mean as dense as this chapter is, I felt like that was definitely something worth pulling out because I was looking at it. I was kind of amazed because I was like, Oh, this, I, I would never, I would, I would never write something like this because I would like, it would set off my alarm of this is just exposition. I, I need to embed this in dialogue, Yeah, but, but this is perfect for the scene. Yeah. Well, so. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a great, kind of distillation of what you and I like to do with stories, right? It's like, Oh look, here's a thing. Hey, this worked on me. 
Uh-huh. Hey, that that wouldn't work on me normally. <laughs> right. Why is that? Why did it work on me in a in a case where it wouldn't have normally? And, yeah. and inspecting that, I think, is important to deciding why stories work the way they do. I agree. Um. So as we go into the scene, Legend is here being his cool self. But I was like, I pretty much forgot that Victoria would actually be heavily biased against Legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really easy to slip into seeing him the way you know, the way he sees himself, the way we were kind of taught to see him by Worm as the guy who, you know, didn't really know what Cauldron was really up to and he's just kind of a useful idiot. Uh, But Victoria doesn't have that context. She kind of holds that all against him. Yeah, Um, yeah. I I forgot about that too. Yeah. yeah. I just think a legend is the laser man. Right. And I'm glad Legend lays out some of this stuff because if he hadn't, then I would have just assumed the threat was basically like make capes look bad because, which it is, but he <laughs> he explicitly extends it to say that there's a specific narrative being kind of crafted about Scion, about broken triggers, about the risk of the machine army. Basically, what Teacher has done is kind of amplifying all of these fears, kind of surgically amplifying them. Yeah. Um, in order to align against the hero's interests. Yeah. And we see like we kind of see the full scope of it. Right. With like just like um, how how much they've been influencing and just little little pushes and pecks here and there. Little I mean, chinks in the armor is a perfect way to to explain mm-hmm. it. There's like these little bits that that he's successfully influenced how people feel just amongst themselves. And yeah, all the stuff on the outside that they've been keeping secret. And um, I think I forget who it is, but someone mentions, you know, revealing more scion based information to the public than just what Victoria and them did. I mean, like the cool thing about this is we learned that like they 90% stopped the attack from actually happening, right? Like they, they were able to shut down the systems quickly enough that not all information was disseminated everywhere, but it doesn't matter because now that that, that exists as an excuse for why information is out there, they can just pick and choose what information they want to release when, and nobody will doubt it because like, Oh yeah, we had this big leak. Um, so maybe this this specific information wasn't actually pulled in the leak, but we can release it now and no one's going to question the source. No one's going to question the validity of it anymore. There's no way of, you know, turning public opinion on any of this stuff anymore. It's, so it's brilliant. It, it's it's brilliant. And I don't know how much we've talked about this on the show, but but what what a 2019 uh, thing this is to to have in a story <laughs> like this right. idea. That, I mean, fake news. Right. It, it's this idea that. Once you have created um, narrative A, you're going and then and then you introduce the idea that narrative A uh, is is a falsehood. You now create two camps or, or, or perhaps it's more accurate to say the two camps that already existed will now just pick whatever evidence they feel like. Right. Yeah. The, 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 the side that, that is already biased against parahumans will say. Of course, this is all true, and the parahumans are just saying that it was an, an elaborate conspiracy and of, of plants because they don't want it to be revealed that they're all horrible people. Yeah. And, and then, of course, the, the pro-Kate people, such as they are, would be like, no, no, like it, it really – look, here's the, here's the proof that it was a conspiracy. And, and then you, you've created the, you know, the post-truth era, if you will, and, yeah. and it's extremely poisonous and, and toxic to any kind of – like it's extremely resistant to any kind of fixing, right? It's, yeah. not like, it's not like a trustworthy person can just say like, no, no, I'm going to clear it up once and for all. It's it's just fucked now, you know. It's yep. kind of like modern discourse. Yeah, and, and 
that's the most depressing thing you said all, all day. But yes, I, I completely agree. It is very 2019. And and yeah, it's almost self-propagating. Like they all they have to do, all teacher has to do is maybe release a bit of information, trickle every bit, every like d- couple days. Just like, oh, yeah, here's this little bit more. Right. I mean, you almost think like the systems doesn't even need him to do that anymore. It's just going to do it itself at some point. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think he's done the damage he needs to do. Like yeah. he's, his stroke landed. It doesn't matter if they stop 90% of it. Yep. Um, Fuck. We're, we're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, Dragon is forced to let everyone know that she's not human. And uh, then some of the other capes from the other independent hero teams admit to having their own, uh, as Victoria puts it, secrets, lies, and dirty laundry. Yeah, this is a... <laughs> So Victoria takes the dragon news pretty hard. Yeah. Um, like even as dragons like and dragon and some of the people around him are like, OK, th- this isn't going to change. Like this dragon's been like one of the best of our heroes, like has, has been one of the best of our heroes. And it, it, meanwhile, in Victoria's head, she's like, fuck. <laughs> right. We are duplicitous. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, this is really bad. What does this mean about defiant? Like her, her mind starts racing for like right. all the negative implications, which is exactly what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's great. Uh, I just love this. Tattletail, can you start by walking us through what you know? I can, Tattletail said, smiling. She's <laughs> like, this, this is why she's here, right? So she, we know this is her favorite thing in the world. This is what she lives for. Shard Heaven is real. We know this now because uh-huh. Shard Heaven is Tattletale getting to stand in, in a room of smart, some of the smartest and most powerful people in the world and getting to be the one that gives them the information. Uh-huh. Right. That, that is yeah. that is Tattletale's nirvana. Does she pinch herself as she walks in? She, she might. She yeah. might. Yeah. So at this point, Victoria, so basically Angle arrives to give her deposition and Victoria basically flees because she can't tolerate any more of these emotional impacts and in the wake of this as she's talking to uh, Vista and 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 Sveta outside she says kind of out of the blue she says we might have to stop playing nice with the civilians yeah this is the real heel turn of the chapter right I mean we 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 finished 1310 with this ominous note about Victoria kind of diving into her own darkness we we started this chapter with like she's in this str- extremely like edgy dark place, but she hadn't really voiced any change until this moment. And I love that Sveta here serves to really send home how um, genuinely shocking this is. Like like it's like you you want your readers to be shocked by something your character just said and you want to emphasize and make sure they are shocked by that so you have sveta in here come in and say victoria no sveta said sounding genuinely horrified like like guys everyone reading at home this is how you're supposed to feel look at how sveta's reacting right now that's how you're supposed to feel about what she just said there um it is so specifically against victoria's brand of heroism right like it's against the the things that she's been talking about since the beginning of this book like she's the girl that goes to a hospital and like helps sick kids feel better by flying them through the sky like she's the one that that told ashley like all these interactions matter, like care, like making these people caring about these people and, and showing these people that you care and considering them matters. And then suddenly it's like, eh. Yeah. 
I mean, I think it's interesting that we're having this, we, we just had this discussion about when it's okay to break rules in writing. And, and here what you have happening is basically what superficially seems like a character breaking character. Victoria is behaving in a way that is uncharacteristic for Victoria. And that is absolutely called for in a situation where what you're wanting to show is, yeah, she's having a real rough time. Yeah, yeah. She Like, like no, she never would behave like this normally. But she's been pushed to this point where she's bl- blurting out these things that are just like the, the worst and most most fearful and and darkest kind of secret thoughts inside her. Like we don't even see her thinking about this before she says it. It's almost like she's just so out of sorts that her like her her id is taking control of her mouth. You know? Yeah, yeah, and it's I think that's right, and it's fantastic, and it's it's fantastic specifically because it's like a it's like a good way to show shocking without um like an unbelievable unbelievable twist twist isn't right a change like while this is against everything that victoria has has talked about in the past and it's against the victoria we've seen um we buy it in the moment because we've laid the tracks for it we've we've this is this is what we've have been building up to these past few chapters the the whole arc even um and so yeah it's shocking um you're horrified along with Sveta for a little bit but you're like in the back of your head you're like yeah i can see i can see why she would say that in this moment i could see why she would get to this place and as long as you can say that then you can do whatever you want with the character right yeah absolutely i love it uh, so yeah, running away from stressful personal situations and feeling emotionally tumultuous, Victoria, Sveta, and Vista then run right into the last person she wants to see, Jessica. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, like as they run into her, Vicky touches her mask, which is hanging on her hip, as if she's like wishes she could hide behind it again. Yeah, I'm glad you pulled that out. I think you're right that part of it is wanting to hide behind it. But I, I want to go back to that that line from the very beginning of the first chapter where um, Victoria notes the mask, notes that the mask looks accusing at everything that looks at it. So mm-hmm. part of me is like, yes, I want to hide behind the mask. But part of me says that she wants to put this thing on so that she can look at, at Jessica and be like, you yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) judge her as guilty right Right. like i I think that's part of it yeah shame yeah yeah exactly Uh, yeah so um jessica apologizes actually before jessica apologizes she asks if she can be alone with victoria and victoria's friends are like i don't know victoria what do you think (laughs) (laughs) which is which is really nice like Uh nice that they have her corner yeah um but anyway yeah then jessica apologizes and kind of contextualizes her behavior pretty much as we would have done for her you know Mm -hmm. like she was trapped without resources with quote some of her most difficult patients to put it mildly yeah um she hasn't been handling her return well um so like it's a genuine apology right but victoria isn't able to sublimate her resentment and like she feels bad about it she feels bad that she's not able to like gracefully take the apology, but like that doesn't help. Like it's right. just, that's just where she is. Yeah. I mean, like, I think, I think it's cool because the, the chapter or the arc come kind of comes full circle with this conversation because Jessica, part of Jessica's apology is making the points that Victoria made in her own defense back at her. Uh-huh. Like, it's just like, 
you kept Rain alive when people wanted to kill him and they're in custody now. You found out about Kenzie's parents, something she kept secret from me and you got her to a healthier place. And it's like, yeah, Jessica, this is all the shit she said to you a few chapters ago. And you were like, nah. yeah. And now it's interesting that Victoria is the one kind of like, eh. <laughs> like, right. like she specifically says, well, no, actually, Kenzie might be uh, different. Like, it's not the same kind of problems, but it might be a different and just as bad possibly problem. So, um, yeah. It's understandable. I mean, like, yeah. it, I mean, even if somebody just like breaks one of your possessions, there'll be a little bit where you're like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and eventually you'll get over it. But like in, in this moment, it's it's really too much to ask for Victoria to, to be able to just shrug, shrug it off. Right. Yeah. And and so I, I love I love I love this entire conversation. I think we should note that just writing wise, this entire conversation, there is no um there is none of Victoria's internal monologue. This is all dialogue. It is back and forth dialogue. And until the conversation is over, uh, Victoria doesn't think anything to herself. It's like she, it's almost as if the book is saying she is focused entirely on this conversation. Right. Yeah. She can't even think. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jessica says what we've we've as has been hinted at previously. She's on leave from being a therapist that she'll help where she can. But she's not seeing patients anymore. She's got to deal with herself. And there is. There is here, I think, a fracturing of the relationship that might be irreparable, right? Um, like this idea that that Jessica has apologized and and we go back to what Defiance said is you might feel still feel sorry even if your actions are justified, but that does not mean the person that you hurt has to accept that apology. Yeah. The action being justified and you feeling bad about it doesn't mean I have to say, oh, it's fine. Um, and, and this interaction has reframed Victoria's opinion of Jessica, and I just don't know if she's getting that back. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I mean, I, I think that she might like I'm not going to I wouldn't I wouldn't say from these chapters it's definitely broken. It's definitely irreparable because the thing is, she's it's been one day and it's been one day of. Well, OK, first of all, it's been one day of, of shit followed by like I think it was like three weeks of her knowing that that Jessica was stonewalling her and, mm-hmm. ju- and just like kind of low key freaking out about it, but not being able to do anything and not, not, not understanding why. Yeah. And so it's felt like this like slow burn that then culminated in a betrayal. And that's, that's definitely going to take time to recover from. Yeah, uh, you're right. I, maybe I shouldn't be so as final about it as Victoria is. I mean, we talked about at the beginning of this chapter that Victoria is all about <laughs> permanence and finality right now, right? Like everything yeah. in her mind is like, well, there we go. Yeah. But I do think like I, I think it's interesting that Victoria has always been of the opinion that non-parahumans just can't understand the things we capes go through. Um, that was the one of the first things she said to Darnall. And I think Jessica in her mind was the exception to that rule, was a person that had been around parahumans enough that she kind of started to get understanding. And they had disagreements. They had a disagreement on, you know, how much the human side versus the cape side was important to the person. But but Victoria kind of got this idea that Jessica, out of all of them, might understand the most. And I feel like this thing has shattered that thought of her, that, that this idea that oh, Jessica at least has a base level of understanding of what it's like to be a cape. I don't think she thinks that's true anymore. I love I love that. I love that juxtaposition that the last thing she said before this was this this rather stark pronouncement about, you know, the, the humans kind of maybe maybe being a lost cause 
And then she runs into one of the humans immediately. And like you just said, it's the human who she maybe gave the most, she had the most hope invested in. And Jessica has broken with Victoria so easily that maybe she, she just loses all hope that the rest of humanity will, um, will hold faith. Yep. I love it. I don't like, I don't like it. Yeah. I mean, I love it. Yeah. But <laughs> well, it's perfectly done. And I love it. I love that I didn't notice that that's what was happening. Like, I didn't put that together until we had this talk just now. This, this idea that, like, we juxtapose, oh, it's it's Jessica, a non-parahuman, after she makes this statement about non-parahumans. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. great. That's why I love doing the show. Yep. So as Jessica walks away, Victoria asks her to tell Sveta and Vista to hang back. And then Vicky walks right past Love Lost and Coil, only briefly touching base with uh, Colt. I said Coil. Yeah. I mean Colt. Uh, and down onto the Orchard Capes. Fuck. Yep. And I love how this is written because we see that Victoria like has a mission in mind, but we aren't privy to what it is for a few paragraphs. We just mm-hmm. see her walking past Coil. She says she wants to make a transaction. We don't see who she's talking to. Only after the orchard capes are described physically and they respond to her do we finally learn from the narration who they in fact are. Yeah. And I like this because this doesn't feel like one of those situations where I feel like the point of view character is intentionally masking information from us, the reader, for no reason. I think this is internally consistent because I think she's working up to the thing that she's about to do mentally. So like, she's not just going to say like, I was going to talk to orchard about, uh, getting Sveta's body back because I think she's working up to the, to the, the extreme reality about what she's, what she's going to do here. And, and I think the text kind of shows that like here we have, like as she's, as she's walking up, as she's coming to this decision, as she's about to reveal to us what she's doing, we see, I tried that. I was so, so wary of it. The game, the back and forth, consideration when none was extended back it was so hard so difficult i was so tired of dealing i wanted to at least consider what we needed to do so that things were dealt with and like that's like all this is is going through her mind as she's walking up to orchard so like she's not ready to say i am going to make a deal with orchard until she's there actually doing it yeah yeah i I mean it it Perfectly reflects her state of mind. Um, I, I I adore it, and, and this is a sentiment that quote you just read is very much a sentiment that she's expressed before. This frustration yeah. with the fact that like you fight the monsters. I don't want to fight the monsters. I want to stop the monsters. Yeah. You know, except it's here. It's not talking about the monsters. It's talking about kind of the the everything. The fact that everything is just constantly getting worse. Yeah. And all she can really do is kind of just like put a finger in the dike and yeah. it, it doesn't doesn't actually fix anything and she wants to just fix one thing so she can feel like she did something yeah i mean this is the essential uh heroism of of people i mean the, the, like this is this is also like the essential copness of victoria right like mm-hmm. cops are never going to solve all the crimes they're never going to stop crime that's just not what's ever going to happen um you're going to do the best you can and sometimes it's going to feel like you never win um I, I think this is really close to how poor love lost felt. Right. Yeah. Um, Interesting that she's 
standing right by Love Lost. <laughs> right, scene. right. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, I, I think there's something real tragic. Like, this is, this is tragically relatable, right? There's this feeling that, like, it doesn't matter what I do. Like, even, even when we do win, it's overshadowed by another loss. Like, nothing's getting better. We're not fixing anything. Um, I maybe maybe the thing is I need to stop being unwilling to do the the, the really to, I, unwilling to go down a path I've never gone down before because the way I'm doing it is not working. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think, I think yeah, unfortunately, <sighs> if you're right about that. So yeah, Victoria looks through their files to confirm that these guys are as bad as we're afraid they are. We've got Mr. Bow and Mr. Drowsing, um, which are apparently their their cape names, <laughs> not, <laughs> not not their real names. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, and I appreciate the the work here to refresh our memory of just how terrible they are, right? Like we we can't just we, we Wildbo doesn't want to just rely on our our previous knowledge of Orchard. We go through it very specifically here. Um, abducted people that bone saw would have called art what my sister would have called a mistake a young man to have the heads and legs of a dog only the trunk of the body normal three women apparently abductees overseas made to look identical the after picture showing them sitting in a row smiling the same face like just and it goes on from there and it's just like it's horrifying yeah. like like i mean we knew these guys were bad like we knew just you know tangentially and what we've heard about them were bad but but to see it through Victoria's eyes in this moment really cements uh, the extremity with which she's about to to negotiate with them. Yeah, I mean, e- each of these little snippets, these little vignettes is like a little piece of microfiction by Wild Bo where you're, you're yeah. just like, all right, let me think for a minute about this scenario where they made a, a body double for, for legend. Uh, l- let me think for a minute about the, the man who made his wife biologically old old yeah why, why did he do that what the fuck <laughs> uh, so it's so it's so disturbing right it, it, it really is yeah. i mean oh my god uh yeah so um she goes pretty fucking dark here mm-hmm. she basically tells him that they're going to be sent to a harsh prison planet trying to terrorize them and you know on on one level good fuck him um, but <laughs> but like she's willing to pull in you know she says she's willing to pull in favors to make it easier on them if they will help Sveta become human again so she's like crossing all these lines mm-hmm. and and being rather like harsh and and cruel almost um yeah. and and that's that's the point she's at if it's if it can help her friend yeah i mean it's 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 full circle on the one hand because like we started this arc with her feeling so so guilty about about throwing these people on this this other world right like the disappearing was just something she couldn't feel comfortable about and now not only is she feeling comfortable about it with these guys is she's like holding it over their heads and using it to manipulate them there's that word again she, there's there's manipulation going on here yeah. but even just but it's that on one level and then on the other level it's she's negotiating with monsters like like these people represent everything she hates everything she hates unrepentant monsters uh people who mutate bodies people who fuck with minds if you had a list of things i fucking hate in victoria's desk these guys would check every single one of them and yet she's here for her friend yeah right i mean what happens next is Sveta shows up and like verbalizes all of this. Yes. Like, what are you, this is not, 
yeah, so I mean, yeah, the meeting is interrupted. Sveta and Vista see what she's doing, and, and they raced forward like there was danger, um, <laughs> which I, I love that touch because they're like, yeah. oh my, oh my God, this th- that can't that can't be right. It looks like Victoria's talking to Orchard. Yeah, um, she wouldn't do that. She wouldn't do that. She would never do that. And and then there's this wonderful emotional scene that follows that I think it really works. It really hits home. It's it's really really affected me personally like like just the 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 emotionality of what victoria is going through the way sveta responds to it and and it's a long time in coming it's been built up gradually you know where neither of these friends has said out loud that sveta's problems could just be fixed if they found the right solution and that's and that victoria has been looking for solutions and, and here they are finally having this conversation that's kind of been the kind of been circling around for the whole story yeah yeah i mean it's yeah she basically says that she's been working not just for sveta i mean sveta's her focus but she's been working for operants for the capricorn brothers asking about power specialists placing lookout somewhere um you know stuff around rain and, and ashley's hands like she's been looking for those those solutions solutions um and it's it's really like I, I wanted to go through this line by line and we're not going to do it because we don't have time. But like this conversation, this is the culmination of the arc. This is one of the most powerful emotional com- conversations in this entire book. Um, it's really wonderful. Like y- like you more than anyone, because you're my best friend. I didn't ask for it. I didn't ask for if for you to do this for me. But you want it. Right. Like I just yeah. like it's so like each and every one of these these like these sentences like stab with an emotional, like it's, it, it, it pangs your heart. It's, it's true. It's true. And, and uh, like Sveta doesn't want this for Victoria. She doesn't want her to have to like go against everything she believes in to deal with these people, but she can't lie and say, no, this is not what I want. And then like we get in the middle of this conversation, we Victoria reveals that she's known about weld and she tells that to her. It's like, I've been working on this for weeks for you because I've known this was coming and I wanted to hopefully have a solution for you before I could get there. And then you have this this moment where like Sveta says, what happens if we try and fail? And and Victoria's like, I know I know what happens more than anyone. And Sveta's like, not that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about what Amy did to you. I'm talking about what happens if you get my hopes up and it doesn't work. What happens then? And it's like, God, I I, I don't even have the words to yeah. say how powerful and emotional this is. I mean, it is it is it's everything. It's it's this entire book like i think the sveta interludes next i haven't read it i know it's an interlude chapter i'm using my um my extremely powerful brain to say <laughs> it's probably going to be sveta based on how we end this this chapter but this why is the sveta interlude last why is um why is this happening now because sveta's well-being is the cornerstone of everything Victoria is and what she's been trying to do this entire book. And I think that's remarkable. And I, I don't know where this is going to go. I, like I dealing with the devil is, is never a good decision. Um, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if there's going to be consequences. If it does work, I suspect we'll find out next week, but it, it's, it's one of those situations where you're like, you're, you're terrified, you're horrified And you're also like so immensely proud of Victoria for for how how wonderful of a friend she is to this person. You know, like it's like all those emotions are are attacking you from all angles. 
Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, I, I think we've remarked before about the fact that um, Victoria's having a hard enough time, and she she did have her body fixed. She 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 is she is cured, right? right? But she's still she's still had such a rough time in this story. Sveta, to to put it metaphorically, is still the wretch. She's still in that place physically. Yeah. And, and, and like, I, I, I'm forced to call back to the moment when Sveta first sees her in the therapy appointment and, and, and is completely overwhelmed seeing her in her, in her body, her, yeah. you know, her, her, her original body basically, except now it's made out of dogs and stuff. She doesn't know that though. And, and, but like that emotion is one of those things where like, I, if I, you know, if I do a full reread, that's going to just kill me. Right. Because like understanding all the surrounding context is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So Yeah, I mean, yeah. I <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Like I just like the, the the Victoria's everything comes to a head in this. Like Victoria's love of her friends, Victoria's punishing of herself, right? Like you lost your prosthetic body because I failed you mm-hmm. is what she says here. And it's like, "No, you didn't." And it's like, "No." And we go back to that one moment where she thought that the the idea to split up was a bad one. Right. Remember, we talked about how she didn't voice that opinion. She let it go. Right. And and Victoria, being Victoria, is still dealing with that internally. Like like everything that happened after the moment that I said we should we, that I didn't push back against a plan I didn't agree with is my fault. Yeah. Everything. And that's it's absurd. But I think we even talked about that at the time. Right, right. <laughs> as, yeah. as like, is she going to bite her in the ass that she didn't stick up for her opinion more? It's and just, she's certainly going to blame herself. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course it, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry, I, I was going to say like my feeling reading the, this last part of this chapter was actually, but when I read it the first time, there was part of me that was aware of of like, oh, like I can't, I can't do this justice in in like discussing it beyond just saying like it just felt like. like a perfectly lined up series of gut punches. Like I almost, when I was reading it, I was like, I don't, I don't really want to like break this down because it just is, is wonderful. Like I just want to read it again. And I mean, obviously I, I enjoy breaking things down, but sometimes something is just so effective. I'm like, it just stands on its own. I love it. I can't, I can't quantify this in any kind of way. But I think this is one of the best parts, writing-wise, of this book. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it definitely affected me the most emotionally. Yeah. This, this whole bit, this whole ending of, of Black, I think, and, and culminating in this scene, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we, we have to mention that Victoria drops the tyrant word here at the end of this chapter, mm-hmm. um, which is a very specific targeted word because mm-hmm. we know that that's what... That's what the waste is sitting there going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to be a tyrant. And it's like, yeah, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think that's great. Yeah. I, like this is this feels like, you know, we're going to talk about it next week. I'm pretty sure it's this Fed interlude. That means um, all of our breakthrough interludes are done now. Um, that means like, you know, structurally, it feels like we're then getting into what is is going to be the ramp up towards the end of the novel. Right. And, and, and I just like in this moment that, that all comes together, right? Like uh, the, the loose strings, everything we've been talking about just kind of comes together in this distillation of Victoria says, I have to do this because I need, I need to do something I failed and I'm going to be willing to do this. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think it's exactly that. But will Sveta be willing to do it, Matt? 
Well, she's she's nodding, but <laughs> we'll have to see. Yeah. Assuming that's the Sveta interlude. I'm using my giant brain to not uh, let you know that. You've read the chapter. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so that's that's it for these two chapters. Uh, uh-huh. let's, let's talk a little bit about these names because I was sure that Mr. Bow and Mr. Drowsing would just easily reveal themselves to me in terms of the meaning of their names. Mm-hmm. Um, they did not really, but you pointed out that Bow is a is a word that is used in through the looking glass. Yeah, but I like I don't I I, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> that was me re- stretching a little bit, um, but it is. I mean, like the the in Alice through the looking glass, um, Alice comes across flowers and they teach her why that the bough of a tree is called that. Um, I th- I mean. I think there's definitely the idea that drowsy is also something that's in Alice. Uh, that, that's you know she she sleeps and dreams some of these she things. Certainly right? does. I mean, it would make sense to like all the all the villains in this story have a very specific Alice yeah. related thing. Um, I mean, there's also the bow breaks is the lullaby. Yeah. Right. Uh, and the other guy's name is drowsy. And 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 the drowsing guy is basically drowsing. like somebody who affects minds which which you think of that as like minds sleep you know bow yeah. is physical it's like a like a like a like an arm basically it's a, it's an appendage yeah. so that's related to his his power in a sense so yeah there's always more than one thing but y- y'all let us know if you think of any other uh meanings that these could have yep keep every time i'm gonna say i need to go read alice through the looking glass <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i'm still not gonna do it yeah right all right, uh, let's talk about last week's answers to the discussion question. I thought these were really great answers this week. I mean, they, they're always really good, but I, I was I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I forgot about that, you know? Yeah. yeah. So the question was, what moral quandary in parahumans stuck with you the most, and how do you think Wild Bo cr- uh, constructs such fiendish situations? Who was the first answer, first Matt? first answer was from username Wild Bo. Ah. And they say... Uh, I think the quandary that sticks with me the most, speaking as the one person who can observe from the sidelines, is the was Saint right question. After Saint shut down Dragon and took over her responsibilities in the Prelude to Gold Morning, arguments raged for days without ceasing. In the chat, people would pick up where others left off, and there wasn't a 15-minute span where someone wasn't arguing one side or the other. I didn't write it to be a debate, but to give Saint a justified background as the enemy and threat to the most powerful tinker in the setting. From an entirely different perspective, for most of the readers and doof media audience, I think the quandaries I enjoy most are the ones where hard moral questions are being made, but it stems not from yin-yang balance, but from questions of morals and character conflicting. If the audience find themselves on either side of the debate regardless, then that's perfect. I I I love that. Yeah. Like, I want to read everyone else's answers, but I think that's like Wildbo managed to perfectly distill exactly why his situations feel so uh tough to to get a handle on which which side you want to support like this idea of morals and character conflicting is perfect like yeah i, I think yeah. that's perfect yeah, it's it, it it reminds me of the of the distinction between wants and needs right where where you have right di- di- sort of on on different layers the character is pushed in different directions yeah i yeah. love that 
Cool. Yeah. I, and there are other people who actually kind of uh, get at, at similar answers to this. Um, so so let, let's get on to those. Yeah, sure. Next up, we have Rooster DF, who uh, describes the conflict at the heart of Ward as their favorite moral quandary. Should Victoria forgive Amy? How much of what Amy did is a reasonable mistake for which one can be forgiven? It's a masterful situation because everyone can come to their own judgment, and it's it's a relatively more relatable quandary than having to shoot a baby. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, I mean, that is I, true. I mean, like the, the central, the emotional core of the story is. Can you forgive someone who did something terrible to you? Yeah. Um, and, and and I think there's one there's one level where it's like, sh- should you? Sh- should you? Because yeah. I think, you? I think yeah. can Victoria forgive Amy and should Victoria Amy uh, forgive Amy are, are uh, I think, actually completely separate questions, like, yeah. like, like literally completely separate. Um, and you may even come to different answers on them. So uh, and then it. In fact, you may come to any 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 uh, combination of different answers on those. I think, uh, yeah, with I think with, with right. good reasoning. Viridian says everything about Tristan and Byron. Viridian feels like they've been on the opposite side of this issue versus most of the community because they saw Byron's actions as being more terrifying and vicious than others seem to. Experiencing the dissonance of being sympathetic to a character and seeing everybody else say that that character is worse than a murderer was sobering and made them think hard about their morals. Um, as, as someone who has the position that I have, I can say that I feel you as someone who got dragged after that episode. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you for Yeah. I mean, like, I think, I think there's a lot of interesting because a lot of, a lot of the, the, the most, um, exciting of these moral quandaries relate a lot to what what people in their own experiences are bringing to them right yeah a lot of people were very very defensive of byron because they have been in a situation where their brother was or sibling or family member whatever was uh being just awful to them and i really feel terrible for those people like i can't imagine what it's like to go through that i mean me and my sister did not get along when i was a kid but it was never like anything to the level of actual like like abuse or mistreatment or anything Mm -hmm. like that so i absolutely get that and i and i like looking back on the episode i completely am like oh yeah this is why people got so angry with me um i totally get that but i i i do i do think that that's one of the things these things that those quandaries and and even people's reactions to some of the stuff we've said has helped me is you know really inspecting the way I feel or the way I framed the conversation and like understanding people a little bit more. Like I think like we've talked about stories as empathy machines. Um, I think they're empathy machines in that they make you feel things for characters that aren't real, but in discussing the story, you can gain empathy for people just by talking about it. So yeah, that's, that's what it's been for me. And I think Feridian is kind of saying, the same thing here. Yeah. I mean, that's a fascinating aspect of this being like a community. You're not just reading the story. You're, you're interacting and, and you're, you're, you're almost, you're almost challenged by the fact that other people disagree with you about, about the story. And, and yeah. that, that's a whole extra level on top of it. Just being a story that's itself challenging. Yeah. Cool. Death of the artist says the discussion of rain responsibility and personality bleed. 
This poster thought the debate was pretty cut and dried when factoring in Mama Mather's influence, in addition to the whole cult thing. But what elevates this quandary for death of the artist was that the possibility of the personality bleed. Is it fair to punish someone when the actions they took were basically taken by a different person? Is it fair to punish someone with amnesia or brain damage? This gets back to what I believe is the core of most good wild bow morality debates. Where does the buck stop? Is it all of Taylor's is all of Taylor's escalations justified as a response to external pressures or is she to blame for her own actions? How much can we even assign responsibility to parahumans given the existence of brain altering aliens and conflict drives? It's poking at these wishy-washy non-rigorous colloquial definitions of the self and responsibility that gives the parahuman story such interesting moral dimensions. I that's well so, said. so well, well said, said and, yeah. and concisely said as well. Like, yeah. That that is so that is so much of what we talk about on the show. Like yeah, like from from a thousand different angles, just just put, put a bow on it. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. Uh, Chariago says again. Again, rain is their is their focus. Basically, the story sets him up as a character who had every excuse, every extenuating factor aligned on his side, justifying him. And then we're hit with Love Lost Dream. And even though none of the facts have changed, seeing the damage up close and personal makes things feel completely different. And they say, I think that that's Wild Bo's superpower. And I think that's what makes the moral quandaries in his stories so effective. He's able to completely sell us on a character's perspective and then turn around and offer an equally convincing opposing viewpoint. Yeah, I like that. And, and like what Wild Bo said about Saint, it doesn't even have to mean that he's trying to construct a thing where people are torn on which side they should take on this. It's just a matter of, um, Hey, like I want a convincing character reason for why this character is acting this way. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's, it's the nature of human beings that when you see a person's, when you're able to see a a person's thought process laid out in front of you, if it makes sense and is understandable from a character perspective, right. You're like, Oh Yeah. Yeah, that does make sense. Right. I, I like I like that he framed, you know, that Wildbo said it's not about like a yin yang balance of viewpoints. It's basically right. about in this particular case with love, lost and rain. It's two characters, both of whom, but both of whom are convinced that, you know, well, both of whom are convinced of opposing viewpoints, basically. Yeah. And and both of whom have like a very solid um, emotionally convincing reason why they're right, even if it might not be quote unquote correct, because what does that really mean in this context? I like this because one of the things that Aaron Sorkin says in his writing, um, who's a writer I love also, but he like, especially in the West wing would set up specifically to do that very kind of yin yang opposing viewpoints thing where like he had a position that he believed in that his characters and his show believed in, but he thought it was important to bring, opposing characters in who held the opposite position and actually take the time to develop, um, the reasoning and logic behind that position. Um, but that's like why shows like the West wing, as much as I love them can feel preachy at times because you're specifically setting up that yin yang, but then also saying, but, so, but, it's, totally yin. but it's yang, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, like, whereas here it's not motivated. Like, well, but said, it's not motivated by which of these is right it all comes down to character. It's yeah. like, we're, we're, we're not talking about is a right or is B right. It's no, a is Taylor. B is, um, I don't know. Triumph. Uh, tr- there you go. Triumph. Like it's, it, it's all, it's all motivated by who they are as people, not 
yeah. what we're trying to, what we're specifically trying to say about the morality. And th- and then that, that conversation about the morality comes from the character. Like you start with character, start with character, start with character. That's like, that's what this has taught me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Fantastic. I love it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Sarah Penguin says in general, Wild Bill makes sure that the character choices all come from their own unique worldviews. So the moral quantities are always situated within the framing of certain character or characters. Hey, we just said that. Yeah. Uh, Sarah then talks about how dangerous capes are treated. First, she discusses the birdcage as a massive human rights violation, which is strategically first shown to us via the basically innocent canary. Now we have an element of the prison planet. There was in the past, the cauldron policy of nipping S class threads in the bud, basically killing people for crimes they hadn't yet committed there is no right answer just which is least bad and an abusive police state where innocence can get removed either with a fake trial or no trial or one where dangerous killers get free reign by never being properly removed from society yeah um i mean yeah i I definitely agree with that first bit that that's another good summary of what we're we're talking about um and then and then yeah the the kind of the 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 impossibility of a of a happy answer to this issue of how do we deal with these super dangerous super powered people um yeah there's there's literally no like jean-luc picard answer here yeah and that's it's so funny because like that's that's just reality right like our our you know geopolitical issues in this world aren't easy there's never like we like to think that there's one clear right answer and there's one clear wrong answer but it's so so rarely the case it's it's picking and choosing sometimes and like we don't we don't like that as much in our fiction because it makes it more difficult like it's like we want to live in a world where the right answer is the obvious one um but but i mean that's why that's why like i think some of the best like popcorn stories are fun but I think some of the best storytelling challenges you a little bit, pushes against your assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what these stories do. Yeah, I agree. Next answer, Rid Tom uh, mentions the Triumph incident. And uh, they say, Taylor inflicted horrible mental and physical torture on Triumph and his father for, and for basically no reason, since we understand that Coyle never would have given up Dinah. Um, and not only that, but maybe it was also wrong in the macro in the sense that... Um, what Taylor accomplished by that was to to get the mayor um, to argue against condemning Brockton Bay and maybe all kinds of bad shit could have been averted if Brockton Bay had just been condemned. Uh, so it's interesting because this is more just pointing out what a bad idea uh, her torture triumph was. Yeah. But um, sold, but, but <laughs> bad Taylor. <laughs> right. But I mean, it's, it, I mean, I think, I think it was a quandary in, in the sense that Taylor did it anyway because she was convinced that it was worth it yeah. and it and it kind of totally wasn't like this is one of the I, I, I usually I usually just appreciate the, the ambiguity of situations this is one where I was just like nah this is just an example of Taylor being able to convince herself to do terrible things um, but yeah, yeah. Um, uh, triumph love it yeah next up we have me for Mars who says the necessity of making case 53s ooh topical yeah. Wildbo created the sell- setting such that that creating case 53s was the most efficient way to test the power vials and thusly the most efficient way to build all the army they thought they needed I can't help but marvel at the depraved genius of it all and I had no idea if cauldron would be able to stop able to help stop Scion in the way they did without taking this monstrous action yeah yeah right I mean I think this is one where I think maybe even on this show we've been we've been kind of like uh, unforgiving of Cauldron for doing this, but it's it's like from their point of view, they 
what like they, they didn't have any other way of of kind of unraveling the the secret of how the powers worked and, they, yeah. and and without doing that they really would have been kind of helpless in the face of of Scion um yeah. or at, le at least that was their belief and and I and I don't think they had any real reason to to believe like oh the secret is to trick him with pictures yeah. of his dead wife <laughs> right yeah. I mean like I I still think Cauldron was terrible in what they did and um but I'd be lying if I said that that's a conclusion I'm a hundred percent comfortable with. Right. Like, yeah. I mean like this, I think this gets to cauldron in general because it's like, I think it's, it's how can you be a hundred percent comfortable in that when like you understand why they felt the need to do that. I think right. they lost a bit of their, if you want to call it soul, I don't know, yeah. whatever, but you, you get it. Yeah. You get it. I get it. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like Dr. Mother had basically, more or less gradually eroded away her humanity. And we saw, we saw this happen with many of the, of the right. cauldron people where they basically admit at some point, like they're no longer the person who they were at the start of this. Yeah. Like Alexandria I mean, or. I mean, that's one, that's one thing that I think unquestionably worm does is show that even, even if these choices seem like the fair ones or the right ones, they will destroy you. Yeah. Like yeah. that's just that that's that will that's right. what will happen. Yeah. It doesn't matter how how good of a, of a story you can tell yourself about how it's justified, really. Yeah. 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 Madness Factory says, I get the impression that pretty much all major morally questionable stuff in Ward is set up to contrast with the dilemmas in Worm in a very specific way. In Worm, all tough decisions are motivated by rationality and personal values, while in Ward, they are motivated by irrationality and circumstance. They elaborate, um, they, they basically say, take any worm character who commits a monstrous act and they'll be able to justify it. That character will be able to justify it in logical, perhaps even explicitly utilitarian terms. Whereas Ward's villains, on the other hand, are motivi yeah, motivated by desperation, circumstances beyond their control, and fear. The people doing the really bad stuff in Ward can often be viewed as victims in their own right. It makes sense that the apocalypse would make people desperate. And then they go on to say... I feel that this is also the reason why there haven't been any big debates about morality in Ward. I don't know if that's true, but there's probably <laughs> been less. Uh, it's harder to judge what is right or figure out what you do in a character's place. Would you kill someone for water if you were literally dying of thirst in a desert? If yes, how many people would you kill? The morality is, <laughs> is muddled because the desperate situation demands that you do what you need to do in order to, uh, to do rather than what you believe is right to do. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought of you know comparing the quandaries of those two books against each other like that. Yeah, um, definitely a thought provoking way of way of looking at it. I mean, I, I don't know if there's like a clear cut demarcation between Worm and Ward, but I, I do like this idea that the post apocalypse has made people desperate in this way and pushed him basically into a different kind of domain of, of having to make these decisions. And, and I think that is true, that we don't actually see as many of these characters kind of making these cold, calculating decisions where they're like making making some kind of power grab or 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 trying to optimize. They're more just trying to survive. And I think that is true. Yeah, that is very that is very true. Yeah. So next up, we have to Sarwat, who says in Snare, Taylor decides not to mercy kill Brian. Everyone else thinks they should do so after his catastrophe. You, you catastrophic physical recovery. Even Brian says that Taylor should have killed him, 
but she refused out of love, stubbornness, or the patented my way is the only way Taylor approach. What makes it difficult is that, as Taylor points out, her decision worked out. Years later, Taylor makes the opposite choice, euthanizing a baby who is in the clutches of the Slaughterhouse 9000. So how do you think Wild Bill constructs such fiendish situations? By making both sides plausible and not explicitly giving away his own views. I'm sure he has opinions on which is right, at least sometimes, but he never really writes moralistic tracks. Yep. Agree. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. And and I, I like that they point out that here we have a character who is absolutely steadfast in making one choice and then later makes the opposite choice when she's older and more cynical and so forth. And mm-hmm. um, it feels feels authentic to the character in both situations, actually. That happens in Buffy. Watch Buffy. It's really good. It's really good. Buffy shoots a baby? Well, no, it's not. not it's actually, I can't say too much. Spoilers. Okay. All right. It's, it's kind of the opposite. Don't worry about it. Okay. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, Skanderson <laughs> says uh, Aster again, specifically the fact that it didn't feel like a quandary at the time. They say, to reiterate, Wild Bo had his main character shoot an infant in the head, and my reaction when I read it was, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> to me, that sums up Worm. Horrific actions, but the situations around it was so bad that an argument can be made it was the right thing to do at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, especially the binge experience of reading Worm is like, yeah, I mean, awesome. It's awesome that she did that. And then later you're like, oh, my God, am I a monster? <laughs> um yeah yeah i get that i get that cool. and that that i mean that that was something that i had a lot of a lot of, a lot of trouble with through that book as everyone will remember <laughs> up next captain rhino also mentions saint versus dragon they mentioned personally being personally mm. concerned oops hitting my microphone about the threat of powerful superhuman ai and saint is a character who embodies this fear and rationally acts upon it except we spent the whole story getting to know dragon personally i leave the interlude firmly in dragon's camp and enjoy the verbal beatdown saint gets from tattletale during gold morning but is it that because saint was objectively wrong or is it a triumph of emotionally manipulative storytelling in a good way, over consistent moral principles. <laughs> yeah, I, I like this answer because I, I agree. Like, I came into the story very um, uh, skeptical of AI, and 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 you could have easily convinced me that the AI was going to be the the danger, um, um, because that that's just my personal beliefs about the real world. But yeah, the story tricked me into. I mean, not not tricked me. Like, it sh- showed me <laughs> that Dragon is actually like genuinely a good person. Um, yeah. And so you're you're in the situation where you're like actually sort of arguing against your own literal personal beliefs uh, because the story has framed it correctly. We'll see about that. I still think we're playing the Saint was right long game. Oh, that's a super long game. I don't even really think that. I know you don't, <laughs> but it would be it would be funny, wouldn't it? <laughs> it sure would be funny. Next up, Tinky Forecast uh, makes an interesting parallel to the fact that the scientists working on the Manhattan Project were motivated by personal fears and concerns, and then many of them later came to regret their participation. Taylor, much like these scientists, ended the quote-unquote war in a unilateral, atrocious action, but quickly regrets the action. They say the result is that in in universe, as stated by Victoria, emotions are extremely charged and confused in regards to Taylor. Her actions were ultimately necessary, but were they right? Do the ends as brought into the fore by Taylor's actions justify what she did? I still don't really know, but what's important is to understand why Taylor acted the way she did. Yeah. 
I like that. And, and, and I mean, this gets back to the whole thing that like, I don't think, I don't think worm is a story that's about whether or not the actions were right or wrong. I think, I think worm is a story about what happens to you when you make those actions. Yeah. Like, I I agree. I think that's always been our take, which is hard to, (laughs) hard to articulate. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you get into the moral weeds, because sometimes they're fun to go into. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's seductive. That's why it tends to happen. Yeah. Up next, we have March was May who says similar to Tenki's point, should Kepri have made her person swarm? Would they still even have won if she hadn't forced the Tinkers to make their gun? Did Taylor even realize she was Regent 9000? Wildbow leaves ambiguous, it ambiguous not only whether Taylor was justified, but even whether her crowning achievement was necessary. Ooh, Taylor burn. Yeah. You didn't do shit, Taylor. I know. Go hang out in the mall. <laughs> Got her. <laughs> Good one. Uh, X Das Niveau uh, points out the Capricorn dilemma and asks, "How can they live without being assholes to each other?" I guess that's I guess that's the quandary that they're they're yeah. pointing out. And yeah, I How? mean, it's I don't know. I mean, and 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 that that's a fun one to think about, right? Like, just I, I I've actually I think I think the Capricorn situation has taken up a disproportionate amount of my. Uh, thoughts you know regarding the story just because it's yeah. such a it, it's such a, a fascinating crux of of um some uh, you know people really wronging each other does and then you ask okay well who who wronged the other more and then you add the wrinkle now you basically can never get away from that person and yeah. so you're gonna have to figure out some kind of solution yeah i mean the fact that they're relatively okay right now is like a it's a damn miracle yeah Right, right. All right, and finally, we have Placid Platypus who says, the scene where where they murdered the Nyx clone in cold blood after the clone agrees to give them information. Maybe I'm just too hung up on honesty and game theory, but this bothers me a lot more than shooting Aster, and all the more so with all the characterizations of the clone which we see with Ashley. Yeah, yeah I mean, I like that. I mean, the book, the book kind of takes it, or the characters in the book at least, kind of take a stance that clones not yeah. people yeah yeah so yeah i it, mean i think i it, think that is troubling and it, it, i mean it's very troubling in retrospect because they're just like they just they're in this like battle mode of of like the, they're basically in a horror movie at the time right i mean it's kind of funny because like if you have jason Voorhees like in a bear trap <laughs> and, and are you and, gonna say no, i'm not kill jason yeah, yeah right J- and yeah if jason's like i'll i'll tell you uh where the bodies are if you uh let me go like you know you're in a horror movie the correct move is to kill jason Voorhees. <laughs> if, if they're in this horror dungeon the correct move is to kill the next clone but in context of everything we understand now it's super upsetting that the hero is basically just did they just murdered somebody that they yeah. didn't, they didn't even really have to i mean ashley is like a real real person yeah and she's changed and she's awesome and yeah. it's like imagine what next could have become i know Exactly. It's upsetting. Yeah. All right, Scott. Let's Well, get, that was fun. Yeah. Let's never do that again. Yeah. Yeah. Good good <laughs> answers, everyone. Uh new discussion question for this for this week. So I so in, in light of the fact that we just asked the question, what was your favorite moral quandary? I'm just gonna be very like object level and say, Here's the question. Should Sveta go through with this? Why or why not? And 
you know, base your base your answer on what we know at this point in the story, regardless of what happens in the next chapter, because the the question is, should she go through with it? Right. Like, yeah, not will she yeah. not. What do you think is going to happen if she does or doesn't? Yeah. Should she? And I think this is a. I mean, I personally think this is a good question because it, as because I, I think there's great arguments on either side and I love to hear people's analysis. Like it's a I feel like this is a, a weirdly a relatable um, a relatable question. Like, yeah. We're not all tentacle creatures, but but we all do have things where it's like some some major change that we have to go through and there are reasons to do it and there are reasons why if we do it, it might blow up in our faces terribly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, please, please let us know uh, what you think about this. Yeah, I like it. And Good th- question, Matt. Thank you. And that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our Twitter account at gotwormpod. Oh, my God. If I haven't responded to you on email, I'm so sorry. I know I said this like two weeks ago and I said I was going to catch up and then I didn't catch up and it's only gotten worse. And I'm sorry. (laughs) I love you all. I'll get better at it. He, um, he will. He will. Please, please keep emailing us. Don't don't get discouraged just because I'm bad at them. Yeah. We love getting your emails. We truly do. Um, my personal Twitter is at scottdaily85, and Matt's is at mordenamail. If you just want to follow us, from and Matt has like clever dry humor tweets, and I mostly just whine about movies. So that's you know that's what you got there. Yeah. The real value of my Twitter feed is that I retweet funny things, and I don't really talk about serious things. So just you'll just it's just fun basically the only way social media can be good uh, that's You've my cracked it i mean that's my philosophy and and did everyone like how i made it seem like it was scott's responsibility to respond to emails even though we both have full capability of doing that i, I thought that was pretty deft hey wait a minute <laughs> anyway if you're not already subscribed to we've got ward we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode you can find us on itunes stitcher youtube google play and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts and as always you can find all the shows we do over at our website doofmedia.com that's where you can find this show vow of you deep impact and our variety show the doofcast which covered avatar the last airbender last week yeah. Um, we, we watched the first season. We did, and we're going to watch the second season at some point. Yeah, yeah. I got to, I got to, I made some progress in that. I got to make more. Yeah, me too, me too. Um, and uh, Deep Impact, they're getting into uh, one of my favorite parts of the story. Um, so uh, now's the time to catch up with Pact. I'm trying. Stop judging me. <laughs> Uh, and if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly, fan art co- and costume contest, Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent Discord chat. Special thanks this week to new Bidoofs, Benzimo and Kuiper at the $1 level, Sean at the $5 level, and new Doof Troop member Ted V at the $10 level. Welcome, all of you, and thank you so much. Uh, that really means a lot to us. Yeah, I was um, so I was up really late last night working on the script, um, and I don't know why, like, when I went to pull these down, like, you know how you have that moment when you're like, wow. <laughs> it's like you d- I went to pull all the new patrons down, uh-huh. and then I looked at the number of our patrons, uh-huh. and we've got, I think, 245 people that are supporting us to do this thing and you know how like like 
the weird way your brain works is like you like there's there's normalization that happens, right? You just get used to a certain way of doing things or a certain a certain a certain level of existence. And then randomly your brain just goes like, wait a minute. That's insane. Right. <laughs> and like and like that that that's kind of what happened to me last night where I was like I was like, yeah, we've been running this this website for a while and been doing this Patreon for a while and it's been successful and it's growing and it's awesome. And you just kind of get used to that fact. And then last night my brain just went like holy shit and i think i messaged matt like he was asleep it was like one in the morning or something ridiculous i messaged matt and i was just like friendly reminder that this is incredible and insane Uh so like we can't we can't even explain how amazing you guys have been and how how much this means to us that we get to talk about the things we love um on the internet and you guys help support and make that happen it's yeah so awesome and 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 you really have you know helped improve the quality of this thing. All, yeah. all, all, those of you who donate, I mean, it, it's, it, it, it has materially made this show better. And, and I hope that, you know, I hope that, uh, that comes through, um, because yeah. for, for us, it certainly, it certainly does it certainly makes our, our, it makes us better able to do it and makes us better able to make a good product here and just in, in general makes things better for us. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and as always, while you are, thinking about doing to people and making their lives better head over to wildbo's patreon patreon.com slash wildbo and donate to him as well because this is his world and we're just playing in it yeah yeah um and if you cannot afford to donate that's okay after after saying all that we (laughs) understand that not everyone is able to do that and and that's fine but there's tons of ways to help us out you know you can share a podcast with with friends family um you can retweet our stuff on twitter I don't know if that actually works, but it feels like it should. So do that. Um, and you can leave us, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, we don't have any new reviews to read this week, unfortunately. So send them in. We have been getting new ratings. I, I see that number go up almost every day, but not everyone leaves reviews, and that's fine. I'm not really good at leaving reviews either, but uh, we really do appreciate those of you that take the time to do that because uh, it helps it helps people give us a shot when they see our podcast. Yeah. Uh, well, that's that's it for this week's show. Uh, next week, we're going to have a an interlude and then maybe another black chapter. Or, or maybe a new arc. Maybe arc 14. We'll have to see. But in any case, uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be one of those ones that I label as final um, that... It's yeah. just going to be a, just a, a fucking lie. I'm just going to be lying to all it's of you. It's just going to be, you're right. It, it's going to be a lie. <laughs> so we'll see you then. <laughs> <laughs>